The story takes place in January of 2015. I had just started working at an elementary school as part of their before and after school program. I worked a morning shift, which required me to get there around 6 a.m. We were often the only staff there at that time, since it was so early. Being winter, it was still dark outside and very cold when I arrived. I was in charge of opening the computer lab, which meant warming up the computers for the kids to play games on, and was often alone until around 7 o'clock when they started showing up. It was probably about 6.30 when I finally got settled. I was sitting in the computer lab alone, scrolling through my phone for want of anything better to do. After a few minutes, I heard someone typing on a keyboard. It took a moment for me to realize how odd this was, being so accustomed to the sound, but it dawned on me no one had come in yet. I looked up and scanned the room. Nothing. I brushed it off, sure I'd been imagining things, and went back to my phone. A few minutes later, I caught something out of the corner of my eye. Looking up again, I saw four computer monitors switched off. Monitors I distinctly remember turning on. I rose to inspect them, and passing the door, heard footsteps clattering outside in the hallway, like a child running. Clearly someone was playing tricks on me, I thought, starting to get me annoyed. I called my co-workers over the walkie-talkie and asked which kid had been sent up to the lab. Nobody's here yet, they answered. Later I mentioned the incident to my boss. Though the details were hazy, he told me a child had died in some freak accident decades ago on school grounds. The stories of ghostly children were common among the staff, he said, but he hadn't experienced anything himself. I still work there, incidentally, and while I see and hear things from time to time, nothing quite compares to that dark January morning. Thank you, Ashley, for your submission. I am Jamie Markey. And I am a tremulous... You did that last time. Can I be tremulous two times in a row? No. Why not? Because it, sh it makes it seem like you're not trying. There's only so many words for scared. What about the one with the hairy butt? <laughs> I'm just going to say, and I'm a scared Michael Tatum. I don't oh, think I've gone good. with simple yet. I always have to choose like $10 words when uh, you know a nickel will do. So I am a scared Michael Tatum. And this is Ghoul Intentions. <laughs> <laughs> uh, today's episode we are calling A Mighty Will Stands Paralyzed, which is from the poem The Panther by, and I'm going to butcher his name as I've done my entire life, Rainer Maria Rilke. 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 Yeah. Okay. Rainer Maria Rilke. Rilke. It's like a it's key. A dude, despite a being A genuine named Maria. key. He's a Rilke. <laughs> He's a Rilke. Okay. Rilke. Rilke. I don't, I don't know. I'm probably butchering it. Yeah. He was a famous poet. Yeah, is and, he and, here? Um, it, well, he might be. He's dead. Well, I mean, it's, he can't tweet about it, so we're fine. <laughs> I consider it fine. Why is that our title, Mel? Why is that our title, Michael? <laughs> I've heard about... Cheers, Mustangules, again. Yay. God, you haven't even finished it yet. Okay. Um, that is our title because uh, the poem itself is is just essentially the, the musings of a poet who's watching a panther who is confined to a cage in a zoo. And something about that kind of reminds me or brings me to mind of ghosts kind of being trapped in one place or being there because of a tragic mistake they may have made in their own life or... Um, 
you know, being anchored to a spot they may not have chosen, which is kind of terrifying. I, for me, that's part of what makes Ghost so terrifying is that it's it's a comment on what our own fate might be if we're not careful. Because the right. idea of haunting one single place forever uh, kind of sucks in my view. That's that's a great will paralyzed, if you ask me. Even a, well, in my case, perhaps a mediocre will <laughs> paralyzed. But the paralyzed part, I don't like. I feel like children are better at it because they always seem to be playing and having a good time in the majority of their hauntings, right? So, like, you know, this, they're, they're just they're having a good time. Having a good time. They're teasing or, But adult, you know. it's not easy for adults to have a good time. We kind of lose that ability as we grow up. We get We get weird about having a good time. Right. Guilt comes I mean, with good times when you get older. I don't. You don't. <laughs> but can you think of any place off the top of your head that you would want to haunt forever? The zoo. Well, thanks for shitting all over our title. <laughs> 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 there goes my idea. <laughs> Whoopsies. It's a great title. It's a great hey, title, Michael. Anytime I can introduce readers to a poet they may not have ever encountered before. It's um, true. I'm or pronounce. Or pronounce. I can't even pronounce it. I've been reading it for years. That's true. <laughs> 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 so what are your thoughts on that, on that, uh, our submission from Ashley? I love a kid ghost with a spirit, no pun intended, slut yet. It is. <laughs> uh, who is going to have a good time. Like, it's going to tease a little bit and know that they're freaking somebody out. You know, it doesn't seem residual in that in that sense. It since it seems like, oh yeah, I know what's gonna freak you out. And I'm, oh, Leela's barking. See, something's here now. No, messing with Leela. Or the Leela's gate. messing up. Yeah. The gate that prevents her from doing what the fuck she wants to do. <laughs> a mighty will stands paralyzed. Yeah. Right outside that door. <laughs> she is a bitch. I love her. I love her. The other three dogs are terrified of her. They are. Even Genji, the the, the tankiest of all three. Yeah, no. Of the she other terrifies dogs. all dogs. And he just kind of demurs to her. He's like, yes, ma'am. Sorry, Miss Leela. You do what? Yes, ma'am. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, ma'am. She's like the southern grandmother at this point. She She's really. tiny. She's smaller than everyone. She can't see. She they can't worship hear. at her feet and are terrified of her. <laughs> She's feisty. She is. She is. We'll uh, see if she keeps barking. I'll bring her in here. But. Yeah, I. You know, it's Ashley's story makes me think of the computer labs that we had when I was in school because computers and the idea of a computer lab was kind of new mm -hmm, when, when yeah. I was in high school. I imagine the same for you, where we had these gigantic, like like apples. Oh, um, yeah. That like made, and I can just hear it now, clack, 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 the, the sound of the, the keyboards made. It was kind of satisfying in a way because it sounded like you were playing with an abacus. I remember between the computer lab and the typewriting class, mm -hmm. I chose the typewriting class. Uh, I don't know why. We had a lot of computers in the house and maybe I just wanted something that wasn't in the house. I wanted to like avoid my family at all costs. I have no idea where that came from, but <laughs> I, so I took typewriting and I remember that teacher, she was this little old lady in this tiny little town and she said, we are gonna learn everything on a computer that you'll ever need to, or everything on a typewriter that you'll ever need to know because a computer will never be able to do what a typewriter can do. That poor woman. I mean, at the How time long. we laughed at her, like we knew that wasn't the case You were forward thinking enough even then yeah. You're like, I'll never be able to play solitaire right. on a typewriter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> Ever. Not even a word processor. But I am really glad I took that typing class because it 
And see, in, in my school, typer. like computer lab was essentially a typing class in my mm -hmm. little podunk town well, and school have to, because it like, was like we minor do, programming, right? Did you do not that? even that? We learned how to like blow off of uh, like literally blow off a floppy disk before inserting it into a drive. Mm -hmm. Uh, if anyone remembers, it's, I know I'm using really archaic terms. Like right, a floppy, floppy disk, disk is called a floppy disk because it was actually floppy. Yeah. And then a floppy disk, it, it used to be this hard disk <laughs> after it was a floppy disk that you would put into your giant computer and then it became a CD-ROM. This and, all sounds like and euphemisms now for sex, It can be a flash drive. Everything we're saying sounds like... I feel like a lot even of a our conversations drive. end up being something. Well, but this isn't just our conversation. This is like a whole industry built around uh, teenage words for sex. It's true. And now what are we in? Dropbox. <laughs> <laughs> or we, we say things to the cloud. Right. And, yeah, I don't know what that... Maybe that the cloud... It's like an acid... Is. Porn. Acid porn. There she goes. Hold like, on, let me go get her. Yeah, go. <laughs> well, okay. So on that note, and yet not on that note, what what's what's on our agenda for today? Today, because we're doing something a little different. Is our very first ever hysterery. Oh, I, oh, I see what you did there. It's That's history nice. and terror Hysterer. together. Hysterery. It's not. It's not easy to say, is it? Hysteria. I think once you get it, hysteria. Okay, no, I, you know, no. Right, and no, then when you tell people it's, it's a hysteria episode, they'll be like, oh, she's having a seizure. It's great. It'll be fun. It'll be fun for everyone. So, uh, <laughs> are you having a stick, stick your tongue out? Are you having a stroke? Um, <laughs> I smell burnt toast. <laughs> Hysteria. So, what that is for us, uh, we've, we've been very excited about this for a long time. Mm -hmm. We have each done research on famous hauntings, and mm -hmm. we're going to just tell you that shit. We're going to tell you what we found out. And we chose, we, I think we deliberately tried to choose ones that the, that the other didn't know about quite as much so that the other can be like, what? Yes. Wait, wait, back up. What about, yeah, because yeah. I like that. So this is kind of, you know, I'm, yeah, yeah we're, this is, I, I love it. We're love learning. It. We're teaching each other. We're teaching you. We're, we're wasting time with we're rabbit holes that are fascinating. <laughs> and we've rabbit condensed... holes are never a waste of time. Yeah, that's true. Well, we've gone down that rabbit hole for you so that you can find out so much information. And All Everything you really need to know is right here and for the taking. Let us tell you, man, it is easy to go down some serious motherfucking rabbit holes when you yes. start researching Absolute this stuff. Absolutely. I mean, I could do this for... I, I, the one I chose, which we'll get to later, is uh, like a story that I've known for a long time. And then I thought I knew it, but then I looked it up and I'm like, oh, I didn't know Same. half that shit. Oh, wait, I didn't know most of that shit. Wait, what? And then I just started going and I, I spent what I thought was going to be just a nice rainy afternoon mm -hmm. <laughs> checking my sources became five weeks of research. And I finally had to right. just stop because I'm like, well, I got to do something. I've got to actually come to the podcast with something and I'll never finish this. That's, that's, man, never get to the bottom of things. Ever. Right. Ever, ever. But, uh, we're going to try. We're going to try when we can. So, uh, Michael, you're going first, right? Oh, am I going first? Yes. Oh, oh, cool. Awesome. I fear mine will be so long. Well, but it's, that, I'm going to be talking, you know, it's going to be long. Well, I know. But then if we start with mine and it's super long, then by the end we'll be like, eh, we'll just do yours next time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this, I wanted to talk about, uh, the story of Peg Entwistle. 
And you know who that is. I know Peggy. You know, we, we're both actors that have studied acting and been kind of, you know, just we love anything to do with the and craft. Hauntings. And I mean, hauntings. And hauntings. Let's be honest. Kind of very... I know her not because of her acting. I know her because well, of... no one knows her because of her acting Yeah, anymore. because of how but she died. Because of the haunting. Yeah. And, and, um, and if you don't know who Peg Entwistle was, or maybe still is, uh, I do encourage you to look it up because um, her haunting... If from at least from for my money, her haunting is kind of a tragic. Be careful what you wish for. Absolutely. Sort of scenario, possibly that, that's yeah. that's putting maybe too broad as. I feel like it might be it foreshadowing, Michael. But okay, so Peg Entwistle. <laughs> just to kind of sum it up before I get into the details, Peg Entwistle was a famous uh, Depression era actress. She, also ironic. Uh, well, <laughs> or maybe not ironic at all. Expecting, uh, <laughs> but she was a she was a famous young woman, uh, British-born actress who had oh, been successful. She was yeah, she was born in Wales, oh. actually, and uh, she was a successful uh, Broadway actress for a time. Moved out to L.A. when talking pictures became a big thing to try mm-hmm. to you know make her name there, and only appeared in one film that was not released until after her death, uh, as it turned out. And she Do you know what that film is called? I we'll get to it. Okay, I'm sorry. Um we'll get to I'm just this is kind of the the this is like the opening paragraph of I'm in getting, my thesis. I'm getting ahead of ourselves. This is my thesis. All right. Continue. <laughs> she, is, she is most remembered now uh for being uh the woman an actress who whose career had kind of flopped and as a result, uh as a young woman, she climbed to the top of the H in the Hollywood sign there in the hills overlooking Los Angeles. And uh, jumped to her death, leaving behind a suicide note and an uncle and two half brothers and, you know, friends that people that cared for her and didn't really see any of that coming. She's why, and she's why that fence was put around. She's, yes, she's exactly why. And um, her ghost is, has been said since about the 40s. She died in the 20s, and I'll get to that. But uh, about, you know, two decades later, ghost stories began circulating about people uh, seeing her on the trails in the hill near the sign. Uh, and, and there's a hike up there, right? There's several. Nearby. Yeah. Several, yeah. There's a specifically Beechwood Lane. Okay. Uh, which is, There's actually houses and stuff up there, too. The, so, the, interesting fact, Hollywood, the sign, the Hollywood sign used to be called the Hollywood Land sign. Yes. Uh, way back that. in the days. And then in, in I think in the, I think in 46, uh, it was just, they just got rid of the land to reflect Hollywood generally because Hollywood Land referred to a specific housing development in the hills. And uh, and so it wasn't the city's property, it was the property of this development. And when the development kind of uh, went belly up or just kind of went changed hands, the sign fell into disrepair. Uh, Hollywood, then the, the community, the the, uh, the the film industry commissioned the cesspool or con- that con- is Hollywood was <laughs> yeah, like, we gotta very, make this look the better. very lucrative cesspool. <laughs> Uh, con- contracted the city of Los Angeles to um, sort of take make the sign their own and repair it and take off the land so it reflected Hollywood as a whole, not just the the the, the defunct oh, uh, housing development. True story. So it became Hollywood. I thought there had been an earthquake and the land had fallen off. In hilarious irony. No, but you know what? It's true. <laughs> what's What's funny is that the H did fall down in nineteen in the nineteen forties. The H fell down, and that's what kind of precipitated the idea of we need to repair the sign. And that's when stories of Peg and Twistle's ghost began. Because construction. Certainly, it's because construction. Oh, um, okay. 
So it was now just, some people thought is either the construction started up or they thought she had something to do with why the did H it just fell. Say Hollywood Land. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe by then they'd taken on the land. It was, it was just, just Hollywood. Holly. <laughs> Hollywood. Um, That's so just a I dirty joke. <laughs> Again, porn. Okay. <laughs> So, so, so I'm going to tell. I have to kind of tell the story in two parts because I think Peg's story itself is really fascinating. You don't really have to do anything. You do whatever you want. To I do. well, I think it's important to tell the story in two parts because I want to tell the story of Peg's life first because it's really interesting that we don't know her better than we do because her story, especially because of the way it ended tragically, is so fascinating to consider. Mm-hmm. And she had. Um, and as we'll learn, she had quite an influence among among people that everyone does know now, even now. So, hopefully, uh, she was born Millicent. It's a great name, Millicent Lillian uh, Peg was her nickname in Twistle. She was born in 1908, February 5th, in uh, Port Talbot. Uh, Port Talbot, I think it's the Glam, Wales. I don't know how to pronounce. Mm, I think that was right. I think <laughs> you nailed that. Yeah, that sounds right. It's it was spelled like G L A M O R I, so it's pronounced Bob. Right. Um, in Welsh. Also the time of, you know, the world where a nickname would have nothing to do with your actual nickname. Right, right. right. Okay. And, and Peg was a really, was a common term of endearment in that time. Uh, Peg of My Heart was, was a, a popular character in, in comic strips and that kind of thing back oh, then. Okay. So Peg was a, she was like a little girl that just, you know, was everyone just loved. Kind of like Little Orphan Annie, I suppose. But, okay, but and, like not an orphan. But not an orphan. But to that point, interestingly enough, um, so... <laughs> We don't know whether her mother died young. Some stories say that her mother died when she was a child. But there's some evidence to suggest that her mother just divorced her dad and just took off. But we don't know why. There's not a lot of evidence. And it's not surprising given the time that there wouldn't have been. Like, so, because she wasn't married anymore, her mother just kind of fell off the face of the earth and didn't really uh, seem to matter. But she may have died young. Some stories say that. But her father, so um, Peg... Studied acting in West Kensington, London, which was the scene, which was where to do it back then. And uh, her father remarried, had two other children. Uh, Peg got along with them great. She was very close to them uh, through the rest of her life. And then he packed off. And here's the thing. Her her stepmother has no role to play in the story. We don't even, we don't know where she figures. And she just kind of, so it's, I think it's possible that her mother, uh, when she was young, her, her actual birth mother took off. Or her father divorced her for whatever reason, and then remarried, buried, and then and then and then murdered her and buried her in the backyard or something. Prob- probably not. could be anything. I mean, the British are known for doing that, but right. that's just. You I know, mean, it's... you got to get those gardens. <laughs> yeah, right. You got to keep the earth moving. Uh... <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> but uh, but her father Robert, uh, at some point, moved her and her two half brothers and his brother Harold, her uncle, to uh, uh, New York. He also was an actor, and and her uncle Harold was an acting manager. So uh, she pursued acting and uh, was really good at it. Apparently, she her first Broadway performance was in um, a, a play called The Man from Toronto. She played Martha, which was one of the leads, and this was in 1926. So she was in her early 20s at the time, and uh, she later she had a huge hit on Broadway uh, for the era, especially. She was in a show called Tommy, not not the Who's Tommy, that was yet Wouldn't to come. that be strange? Well, that would be, <laughs> yeah. Um, it was a show called Tommy that she was in that ran for 232 performances. Wow. That can you fucking imagine having that? And she was young, and critics loved her. She was so good. Um, she was so good, in fact, that when Betty Davis 
no less than Betty Davis, when she was a child, went to the theater and saw a production of uh, the Ibsen play, The Wild Duck, in which um, Peg played uh, uh, Hedvig. Mm -hmm. And Betty Davis, a different a young musical. Child, she was also not, not in. Right, <laughs> it's funny. Those right, right. It's yeah. not, not Hedvig and the Angry Inch, uh, but Hedvig and the soon to be one day angry bitch, Betty Davis. <laughs> who? <laughs> uh, that was very good. Though. But Betty Davis, as a done. young girl, turned to her mother after seeing uh, uh, Peg on stage in The Wild Duck and said, "I want to be an actress." And she, for the rest of her life, she insisted watching Peg and Twistle light up the stage on Broadway was why Betty Davis, Betty Davis, became an actress. So if there hadn't been a Peg, wow. there wouldn't be a Betty. Uh, and just think about that for a moment, because I mean, like, how good of an actress must you have had to have been to to move a will like Betty Davis? Because you know, even as a child, Betty Davis was a force. Right. So, so that was a thing. So that so she so Peg had this, you know, especially for her age, had a great success on Broadway, but she never quite seemed to get the role she really wanted. She was young and she was very pretty, and so she tended to play uh, comedic roles. She was almost always what they call the ingenue. Uh, which is, you know, just a trope that most young women play. You know, good, naive, um, um, often the love interest of the main innocent. hero, innocent, you know. Yeah. And she was really good at that, but she wanted roles with more substance and just never seemed to get them because they just they didn't match her look. She was playing Sleeping Beauty, but she wanted to be Maleficent. Exactly. Got it. And, and she <laughs> probably would have been a fucking amazing Maleficent. I mean, her name was already Millicent. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so she was just a, a couple of a vowel shifts. <laughs> Away, right. Away. So she married a guy named Robert Keith, another actor. Uh, and they were married for a couple of years, but divorced after she discovered that he had kept a former marriage secret. Oh. Her. Not just a former marriage, but a child by that marriage. Uh, um, Robert Keith, who would later uh, go on to become an actor himself and commit suicide after his oh. daughter commits suicide. Fuck, I was getting ahead of myself. So she she was with this guy for a couple of years and she she divorced him. She sued for divorce and won because, you know, she was able to decide. She apparently had gone to visit her mother-in-law and saw pictures of this woman and her husband and this child and she's like, who the hell is that? And her mother-in-law was like, that's so, that's, that's, that's his former wife. And that's oh, his that's his former and, wife, oh, don't shit, you, know? you know? Yeah, and so she was like, I can't believe he kept this from me. So, and apparently he was also really mean to her and cruel and there was some physical abuse. I can't believe I have a finally have a reason to get out of this marriage. Yeah, and so she... Oh, thank God. So, and, but, but this kind of precipitated a really dark time in her life that she would never quite get out of. So after she divorced her husband, uh, the Great Depression really sunk in and though she was in play after play after play and even well-reviewed as she was because the critics were like, she's so good. Frequently they, they commented in their reviews that her performance deserved to be in a better play. <laughs> uh, you know, which is not, which is very charitable critics. Usually they just pan it out right and they don't mention, you know, the yeah. good shit. But she had a failure after failure. She was in a total of eight plays in a row that tanked after just a few weeks, which right. for an actor is just impossible. So she wasn't making a living. So um, in the midst of all this, she kind of did what a lot of actors in Broadway did at the time. She uh, moved to L.A., with uh, her uncle Harold, the acting manager, who thought, yeah, let's go out there because talkies were kind of new and taking off and huge business. And so they thought, well, let's go out um, to L.A. So she and her uncle and her brothers 
all moved out to L.A. Mm-hmm. And, and she did some theater out in L.A., obviously, to kind of support herself while, while she was waiting for her break in film. And she, she appeared uh, in several plays with Billy Burke, the woman best remembered for playing Glenda the Good Witch of the North mm-hmm. in the Wizard of Oz, right. the MGM Wizard of Oz film. And it was funny because her brothers like to recall that like Billy loved having Peg with her in a production because Peg would remember both their lines because Billy couldn't <laughs> fucking remember her name from one room to the next. <laughs> So Peg would so so Peg would like always get her. So she was in a play. She was in a play with Humphrey Bogart what? Uh, and Billy Burke together uh, in, in in L.A. repertoire, and it failed after only seven weeks. That is it was shocking. Hollywood, right? So was, she was. was uh... He was was Bogey famous at that point? He was a working actor. He wasn't well. He wasn't known. He wasn't Bogey. This yet. was before Casablanca and before like okay. his first big roles. But he'd been, you know, he'd been playing heavies and extras in Hollywood and was a working actor for had been for several years at the time. Okay. And so so he was you know uh, to be famous, but obviously a good actor, a great actor, mm-hmm. and he loved doing. He was stage, on his but, way. Mm-hmm. So the, the you know she was in the play with Bogart and Billy Burke and and it tanked and she just again the same thing was repeating itself as Broadway like she was in all these plays the stage uh, productions and theater you know houses loved her but the plays just wouldn't put butts in seats and so she wasn't making enough money so finally she gets optioned by RKO one of the big studios at the time right, like yeah. probably the biggest she gets option to appear in a film directed by David O Snell uh, David O Selznick of all people one of the, I don't one know of who the, that human he is he was a huge he was one of the he was like the Steven Spielberg of his day okay um and when it came to like film he was like the guy okay and so she gets options to appear in a supporting role in a film directed by David O Selznick called 13 women uh and she uh, the film was was screened for critics and critics Hated it. They they thought it was shit. It was too oh. long, too rambling, too this, that, and the other. Too they, their big their major criticism, as I understand it, was that it was just too long and too convoluted. So as a result, as good as her performance may or may not have been in that film, they cut pretty much most of her performance from it. So she she went from a supporting character to you know uh, an an extra, a glorified extra. Right. And and the film was not to be released again to the general public until after her death, in which oh. she's barely in it. Uh, anymore, which was sad, but because of that, she her option wasn't picked up by RKO. So, um, so here she was at the end of a string of failures on both coasts. Uh, her 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 entree into film acting had gone belly up, and she was just in the worst place possible. Uh, God knows LA. what else. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which is no place to be when you're in a good mood, because uh, <laughs> um, nothing will fuck your life up like LA. Uh, it's a great place to visit, but living there, man, it just eats you alive. And she's she's kind of the, she's become the uh, the symbol of the actor that's accomplished and you know well loved in other areas that tries to make their way in L.A. and just gets eaten alive. Right. So on the night of September sixteenth, right? On September sixteenth, nineteen uh, nineteen thirty two, she was just twenty four years old at the time. Oh no! Marijuana. You remember being twenty four? Uh, she told her uncle she was going out to meet some friends at a drugstore, which is what you did back then. It was like a soda fountain drugstore type place, you know. Okay. So she was going out to meet friends. She was going and, to the uh, And she never came home. So uh, now some reports, uh, some reports say, but I cannot find out who this was. Uh, some reports say she was wearing a dress that she had purchased that was originally worn by a silent film actress that she looked up to. Let me take a guess. Mm-hmm. Was it white? 
Uh, I, I don't know. There's no report of the color of her dress. But bear that in mind, because when her ghost will come up later, she's almost always described as being in white. Bitches in white. So... On Beechwood Drive in the Hollywood Hills, specifically Lee Hill, which is where the, the H and several of the others in, in the, the, the sign are. In fact, I think the whole sign is, is mostly on Lee Hill. I'm not sure what constitutes a hill because <laughs> right. there are several. But uh, a couple days later, a hiker found at the base of the H, this is before a fence was around, but of course, found at the base of an H a one shoe, a purse, and a jacket folded. And it was, it turns out it was Peg's jacket. There was a note inside the purse. It was a very simple, clearly a suicide note, which read, and I quote, I'm afraid, I'm a coward, I'm sorry for everything. If I had done this a long time ago, it would have saved a lot of pain. Oh, no, Peg. So apparently uh, what had happened was Peg hiked up on Beechwood Trail, Beechwood Lane, uh, into onto Lee Hill, uh, climbed up a workman's ladder to the top of the H, after leaving her effects and the note at the base, and she just tumbled over. I think it was like 45 feet to her death, and she oh, died. Wow. Now, here's what's here's an interesting detail that that struck me, just because it's just kind of shows you how different a time it was. This hiker preferred to stay anonymous. We still don't know who it was that found this stuff or found the suicide note and her body, because the hiker said they saw the body when they looked down the ravine. Um, but whoever this was just called the local precinct. And said, hey, I found this stuff. I'm going to leave it on the front step of the local police station down here, you know, at the, at the, at the base of the hill. And that's what they did. So they <laughs> never know who, they still, we still don't know who found her or why they wanted to be anonymous. Uh, the only reason she was positively identified was because the police had no choice but to publish the suicide note in the paper to try to get an IDs long before oh. DNA evidence and all that stuff. And her uncle, who by that time had been missing her for two or three days, saw it in the paper, saw that the the, the note had been signed P.E. and thought, oh my God, oh, that's her. So God. he came and identified Can her positively. Can you imagine? Now, a really sad, sad twist of irony in, in all this is that the very day, the very next day after she left the house never to come back, her uncle again, whom she lived with, received a note from a theater company in L.A. that she had auditioned with and hadn't heard anything from, and they had just they had sent her a contract and an offer to appear as the lead in a play about a woman who killed herself. Oh, my gosh. And so that that was her death. You know, that was her story. She was this, this uh, tragic case of an actor who tries to make it big in L.A. Or didn't even... I don't think she moved to L.A. to try to make it big. I think she just moved to L.A. because she's like, that's where the work is. Everything in New York was drying up because of the Great Depression. Right. Played after, and after nine or eight or nine flops in a row, you know, only a crazy person continues doing the same thing over and expecting a different result. So yeah. they thought, wisely, let's go out to L.A. That's where my chances are. And it still didn't work out. And, and the resulting depression you know, sadly uh, compelled her to take her own life. Now, so sad. The, the obvious spin on that story is that, you know, she wanted fame, you know, so badly and she couldn't have it. And now, you now know, she's she famous. has it because she's famous right. as being as that tragic story. And she's also famous for being the ghost that haunts the Hollywood Hills. Now, there are several... The ultimate role, really, when you think about it. Well, I mean, in a, in a way, I, I, I think what's interesting to me is and i want to talk about this a little bit too is i think that's our 
that is to say, the pop culture's spin on it. I think when a person is depressed and wants to kill themselves, I don't think anyone kills themselves to become famous. Especially not someone clearly as sensitive and as intelligent as Peg Entwistle. She, right. I think she just wanted to end her life. Well, and being an artist, she wanted to do it in a symbolic way. So she thought, why not? But I mean, again, you have to remember, the Hollywood land sign did not signify Hollywood then. No. It was a housing development sign. And that's not at a time period where suicides were a famous thing. At the, in the Depression, you had people jumping out of buildings in New York City all the time. Yeah, it constantly. was, you know, it was not uh, something that she knew for a fact was mm -hmm. going to make her mm -hmm. famous. Mm -hmm. I think she just. It was something she beautiful she wanted to do. Was, well, you know, and here's the thing that, that I think might have really made her choose that is this... And let me say really quickly, beautiful to her in no way, shape, or form is, is suicide no, beautiful. No, 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 no. We are not... Never, never, in never. Any, in no anything way. we're saying right now, we are in no way, shape, or form no. condoning suicide. It's terrible if you I think suicide need to get is, help, get help. Absolutely. We are not supporting that. I just... Su disclaimer. Su suicide is always a mistake. I That's think. right. I, I believe that wholeheartedly, and and you know, I come from a family that who who uh, we had a suicide in our family, and it affected everybody. It continues to, right? You know, yeah. Thirty years on. But I just want to be clear about that in case somebody's listening and thinking, yeah. "Wait a minute, no, we are not supportive of it." No. If you are suicidal, get help. Okay. Please anyway, do. Please continue. do. And please understand that when Peg took her own life, she didn't know that that letter was in the mail, offering her work in a play mm -hmm. that that you know where she would have been given the lead. She would finally have been given a role that was not the ingenue. That was the the real you know role of substance that she'd always wanted. And, and can't she you just, just imagine waited one more day? Yeah, one day. And can't you just imagine like in the future? Like, Betty Davis becomes Betty Davis and gets a hold of Peg Entwistle, the woman that inspired her to be an actor, and then they got to do a show together. It's so sad. And that's why, if anything, if, if In Peg, some universe, that's what's happened. Well, and if... Well, you know? God, oh, I can only hope. And if Peg Entwistle's ghost does, in fact, still haunt the, the Hollywood Hills, as she's said to, it's it's got to be because she went before her time. Mm -hmm. And she's stuck there. And she's calling... When she's seen, she's frequently seen calling out for help or stopping other people from, from Do going down a wrong trail. Do fucking tell. So, like I said, in the 40s, the H in the then Hollywood land the sign uh, fell down, mm -hmm. uh, which kind of started this conversation. And that's when the, the, the city, the, the district of Hollywood decided, let's make it a, the Hollywood sign to denote our district rather than just this housing development. They contracted the city of L.A. to, to take care of the sign, put the fence up and everything. And, and ever since then, now, Peg had a signature scent. She loved gardenias. Well, that's a lovely scent. Which are not, to my understanding, indigenous to that area. It's mostly just scrub. God, brush. they're hard to grow. And, uh, but they have an overpowering and lovely scent, mm -hmm. which they is, uh, I think, is interesting to think about because she was an actress. And so she probably, she, and this was her signature scent. She always wore this, which was smart because when you go in for a role or to audition, you know, getting kind of getting people by the nose, so to speak, is a really good way to be remembered. So Peg knew what she was doing. Like that was her scent. That was her thing. And people walking up and down Beachwood Lane or any of the hiking trails around the Hollywood sign um, will just suddenly be overpowered by the smell of gardenias coming uh, from nowhere. Oh, and what a great hike. Right. I would love that. <laughs> and, well, and so it, they, they so the, and they see her during the day, at night, whenever. Um, so I, I backtrack for a second. We were talking about, you know, why the Hollywood sign for someone that, you know, because we, we tend to interpret her death as she was being melodramatic and wanted to be like, oh, well, you won't be famous. I won't be famous, but I'll be famous now. I don't think she was trying to go after fame. I think she chose the Hollywood sign because it offered a 
gorgeous view of the city and that mm. just might be mm-hmm. the last thing she wanted to see was something lovely uh something kind of breathtaking that kind of you know um just i mean if you're gonna do it you know why not that and and again i mean it's sad and i'm you know it, I'm, clearly it was a mistake on her part but we don't know what she was going through I and mean, i don't think she just killed herself because she wasn't getting work i think she wasn't getting work and things weren't, you know, things weren't playing out in her favor, and it just allowed it, it, whatever, her external circumstances attached themselves to the story she was telling herself about her own value. Mm-hmm. And and she, despite being incredibly talented and sensitive, just was not the best judge of her own value. Well, and when you're in a space like that, you find verification that you're right. Mm-hmm. So if you feel like you're a loser you find ways in your life to prove that you're right when in reality mm-hmm. it doesn't really mean anything. Yeah, so, it's confirmation bias. Yeah. You know, when you think you're nothing, everything mm-hmm. you encounter, proves the, good that stu- you're the, good, the stuff that wants to, you know, declaim that or, you know, you're like you grab onto and the stuff that's like, no, you're not, you ignore. Yeah. Um, which is why suicide is a mistake. It's based on information that you, you're, it's based on wrong information. It's mm-hmm. almost always yeah. based on wrong information. So anyway, onto her legacy as a ghost, um, so the Hollywood sign is on top of Mount Lee in Griffin Park. It's now Griffin Park, which is like a, a state-run park. And a lot of gorgeous paths and fields out there, gorgeous views of the city from up there. And ever since the Hollywood sign was repaired, or ever since the H fell, because people sort of go, oh, I bet it's the ghost of, of Peg Entwistle that toppled the H, Pushed you know. Um, She's like, I'm reported, sick of this shit! People have reported it. both the scent of gardenias, mm-hmm. uh, where none are indigenous. And, and not just the scent, but the overpowering aroma right. of gardenias. And they frequently see a woman in uh, dressed in 1930s, Clothing, often described as a white dress. Bitches in white. <laughs> Bitches in white, uh, wandering along the paths. And that's been, uh, you know, a standard approach. Now, uh, it's been this kind of the standard trope. She um, also, in keeping with Bitches in White, she vanishes. She's Ooh. a vanisher. Like, people will see her um, and try to approach her because, I mean, you know, in any time period, she would look out of place given what she's wearing. So people approach her and she vanishes the closer they get. Isn't that a wonderful summation of her, how she must have felt? Right. Uh, yeah. Oh, um, yeah, that's true. Now, Michael. There's, there's a report of, of a couple who lived near, near there. They were walking their dog along Beechwood Canyon, uh, just the Beechwood Canyon Trail of Griffin Park. And their dog... Uh, started reacting uh, kind of uncharacteristically, sort of, you know, their back, you know, arched and they were whimpering and very nervous and they didn't know what was going on. And then uh, they started smelling gardenias. And then uh, they just see this woman. Uh, now, in their case, they, they they saw her and they insist that she seemed dazed and confused, like she didn't know where she was. All right, all right, and, all right. And as they, and which made them concerned. And this was, as I believe, during the day or at least early evening when there was still some light out because they could see her really clearly. And as they approached her, uh, she vanished again. But And they approached her because they thought she looks, something is wrong. She she looked like something was wrong. And so and their dog was freaking out. So oh. something is up. And so being good people, they thought we should do this. Now, Griffin Park has, uh, there's a guy named um, uh, John uh, Arbogast, who's a park ranger, that uh, has insisted for years that he has seen her all the time. Really? Uh, he, he, in fact, he often feels compelled to warn people about her. Like, hey, you'll see her. 
uh, don't be surprised she tends to disappear you know you might smell gardenias or whatever and um, but he's seen her a lot and um, he tends to see her most often when when and again another interesting symbol with her, whatever her mindset must have been when she took her own life he tends to see her when it's foggy uh, hmm. when visibility is low um, which is interesting. So right, he sees her yeah. and always, and he goes, oh, there she is. And um, there was a resident, a guy named uh, Devin Morgan, who lives off of Beechwood Canyon, uh, who, who senses that he tends to walk along the trails a lot. And he, again, was the first stage, is always smelling the gardenias, her fragrance. I love that. Like, for people who get smoke blown under their faces and... You know, stinky right, smells. Right, you've had that. St- you, yeah. You, yeah, you've had that. Or like if it's the the lady and it's some sort of fucking baby powder bullshit blown in your face. <laughs> I like the gardenia. Better than ectoplasm. Hashtag better than ectoplasm. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm just I'm just gonna quote this guy when he says, um, you know, after he was he was uh, making ways around one of those. There's a lot of switchbacks in the trails uh, mm-hmm. because they go up and down the hills, of course. And he, he noticed the figure of this woman on another part of the trail, but she didn't look dressed for hiking uh, in this dress. She was dressed like a flapper, he said, which, you know, would I guess would have been correct. Again, I don't know if she was actually wearing the dress that she had bought that had been worn by Well, an we also hers. don't know how um, correct his costume history exactly. degree is. Maybe he'd been like, she could look <laughs> weird. But he said... He said um, um, that she just looked very strange to him. And uh, instead of walking, she seemed to almost glide over the ground. Oh. She wasn't floating. She didn't look like she was a ghost, but he said there was just something very, very strange about her. Very soft looking, he said. He tended to catch up with her because she was walking out ahead of him. And she vanished the closer he got. And, you know, almost like a mirage. Uh, but in her wake, the gardenias stuck with him all the way back home. Oh. And... Um, a more recent story just that this was note, just... Just a side note, I fucking love gardenias. So every time you talk about it, I'm like, how lovely. It really like, is nice. It's really they nice. They are hard to grow, too. Like They're You very... have to have the right soil. You have to have mm-hmm. the right fertilizer. Mm-hmm. It's acidic. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I love that. That's like my favorite part Gardenias of are as hard to grow as it is hard to be a successful actor in Hollywood. I would say gardenias are easier to grow. <laughs> <laughs> that put a, th- a lot of things. Maybe that metaphor was on par with the reality of right. 1920s. The, there are a lot of things Hollywood. that are in perspective for me now about growing my gardenias, and I feel far more confident now than I have ever been. Go ahead. Yeah, so, and, so <laughs> it's not making it in Hollywood, so I think a- I can grow this flower. <laughs> <laughs> so this was this was relatively recent. This has just been the in the recent 2000s. There were four people that were. Um, uh, hiking, and they decided to. So now the Hollywood sign is surrounded by a fence um, mm-hmm. to keep tragedies like Peg and Twistles from repeating themselves. And they decided, well, let's just climb it because they wanted to get like a I picture hear about and that stuff. shit all yeah. the time. Yeah, and, the, and people do. And park yeah. rangers can't be everywhere, so they they just kind of made it down there. And again, I from what I can tell, this happened during the day, uh, which is an interesting occurrence. It's not usual. Most of the time we, we see ghosts at night because that's when we seem to be, that's when we expect them, you know. Mm-hmm. And, um, but they, uh, uh, they were, these four friends, and they were, they were hiking around and uh, they got, <laughs> went to the off-limits area and uh, they were climbing up the hill and on their way back down, uh, one of them, a guy named Brian, uh, he slipped and fell part of the way down. I believe he sprained an ankle. And uh, he, he began to try to crawl his way back to the others, and he saw uh, Peg, or someone fitting the description of Peg, walking on the path toward him. 
And he says, quote, it was a woman wearing a dress similar to the style of the 1930s. Um, she wore heels and had a veil over her face. She walked effortlessly up the hill. Her footsteps made no sound. Mm-hmm. And um, it may, again, the smell of gardenias was present. And he, the, these four had, people had never heard of Peg and Twistle or heard the story of, of her jumping to her death. And they only discovered it later and thought, holy shit, that's, that's you know... Um, that's what we saw. And white. That's what we saw. <laughs> so that's that in a nutshell is uh, wow. Peg and Twistle, who I don't think enough people know about. So sad. Yeah. Tragic. Sad. Tragic. But I'm really glad it's... she haunts it. So we have the story so that we know who she is. Because without the haunting, we wouldn't really know. We'd know there was a lady, but I don't know how much research people would do. I wonder, and that's, and that's, I, I agree with you. I wonder if. When we hear of ghost stories like this, because Peg and Twistle, tragically, is not as far from the first or the last person, uh, celebrity or person aspiring to become a celebrity to kill themselves because their career went south or whatever. And it could be that acting, specifically acting that offers a chance of great celebrity like film acting does in the minds of people that pursue it, it could be that that kind of acting tends to draw people that just need a little more mm-hmm. emotionally and can't ever quite get it, so fragile, they might be predisposed flowers. to kill themselves when things go bad. Um, uh, or is the story we tell ourselves as as a public, you know, I, I, I've always wondered, like, how much of Peg's story and stories like that, and they're they're true, of course, but I wonder how much of it, of our spin on it, comes from the maybe the unconscious guilt we feel as a public that, you know, as media consumers and our role, the role we play in what the entertainment business can do to an individual. Mm-hmm. Because it's an ugly fucking business. I mean, it destroys lives all the time. And yeah. it's a difficult dream to follow. Most, I mean, the overwhelming majority of people that pursue it never, ever get even close. And even those that do still often fail and they fail in a big way and i think when someone when a celebrity or someone that's aspiring or just on the verge of celebrity uh ends badly some part of us is kind of ghoulishly gleeful at it i mean we love when a celebrity fucks up Mm -hmm. we love when a celebrity because on some level we're jealous but i think on another level it's also our way of excusing ourselves from not pursuing our own dreams like oh see thank god i didn't get off my ass and pursue that dream of acting because i might have ended up like peg and twistle so it's easy for their you know posthumous stories to become symbols of our own complacency and our own like how we reward ourselves for being complacent like you know oh fame we love to break down famous people because we want to be them and because we're not we want to fucking sacrifice them Mm -hmm. (laughs) does that make sense yeah absolutely so well you can see it you know you have take britney spears mm -hmm. she she has so many fans right now and is so well loved and appreciated and she's going she just finished a major tour she's going to vegas again like she has tons of followers on instagram 20 years yeah and when she had her breakdown uh people loved it It, they loved watching her lose her shit this poor little baby girl yeah oh poor little baby girl put into the industry super young age Mm -hmm. Forced to be a, a grown-up in her style of dancing and everything. And this basic kind of torture that she went through. And then she can't handle it anymore. And everybody's like, oh, I need more. So Yeah, and I think it's, it's almost like fame, the concept of fame is 
a kind of sacrificial altar. Like it satisfies the same cultural needs as the the uh, <laughs> the sacrificial altar of the Aztecs. You know, like <laughs> right. hey, somebody got to go somebody, and so then, that we can and then, you know kind of live peacefully. Right, but then <laughs> it's afterwards, it's redemption. They come back. There's a lot of redemption after we tear them down, right? Yeah. So that is very much that they're redeemed after the sacrifice because now everybody's better because of yeah. that. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes there's redemption. That's true. When they come back, they can't all be Britney. Sometimes um, it's a drug overdose. Sometimes, yeah. A lot of times it's a drug, or, or the <laughs> drug overdose. Just, or the person just disappears into obscurity. And in right. that case, it's like they become famous and we say, thank you for bringing so much joy. And they fuck up or misstep or do something, you know, oh, God forbid, human. And then we're like, welcome back to, you know, to purgatory with the rest of us. Schmoes, you fucker. Like, right, yeah. We love doing that. It's so weird. Uh, not weird. It's just it fucks with me that that we do that because mm -hmm. I'm the same way. I love we love bad news, mm -hmm. <laughs> but we love when bad news happens to high profile high profile people, right? Because I think it takes them down. Uh, a, uh, ooh, I don't want to say a peg. That seems like the whole story oh. was just a joke. That's not what I meant. I'm sorry, peg. Michael. Takes them down a notch. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, it takes it brings them down closer to our our level, so yeah. real shit can. But happen But the to only these reason people. we cared about them is because we thought they were so much above us, mm -hmm. and that's but like but we only. But you can only go so mar so far above before it's like oh they don't understand and they're a piece of shit, right? But that's that's the place we all want to be. Mm -hmm. All of us want that. Like the bug. All of us have that bug. All of right. us. Everybody. Everybody wants their thoughts to matter. Everyone wants their opinions to be heard by everybody. Everyone wants their face to be their invitation to anything and anywhere they want right. to do or be. And that that's so when someone gets there, we're just we're we're holding it against them that they got there and we didn't. Yeah. And so we love it when now, they have it. Now I can taken almost guarantee me. someone's listening and being like, I don't want that. I don't I'm not everyone. You fucking are. Stop you it. Are, yes, you, you are. are. Be real with yourself. You, you want that. On some level. So don't do that. Don't get fussy right now. And I, I also want to touch on this brief thing that we think of, like, when we look at celebrities and we think of, like, public life and private life, we tend to think of public and private life as being two sides of the same coin when they're, it's probably more correct to say that they are the sort of op, on opposite, opposite ends of a very large spectrum. And in that middle zone, there's what most of us have is our... our uh, private social life, you know, that, that inner circle of friends that we know and love, and they may change from time to time, and there may be some overlap, of course, but the people with whom you can be social and get support from and support in turn, but around whom you can be yourself. You don't mm -hmm. have to sell yourself to them the way you do to the larger public, even if, you know, you're just a normal schmo. Celebrities frequently don't have that. The, uh, they're, the higher they're, they're, yeah, they're really, the really insulated. When they have to be insulated because they cannot, everyone wants a piece of them and they mm -hmm. cannot, there's just not enough of them to go around. So they have to protect themselves from the public in general. So they but have a posse. They have, they tend, yeah, they tend, <laughs> they're, 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 Private social life tends to consist of hangers-on, sycophants, agents, promoters, uh, you know. Everybody uh, wants peace. Uh, publicists and people that are just, yes, I mean, they, they live in this kind of rarefied atmosphere of, of uh, yes, men. Mm -hmm. and or, or people that tell them exactly what to do and shut the fuck up and do as I say. And they're glad to do it because they like the money or they want the fame. And so that's what they lack. And I think perhaps that's, that maybe plays into why when depression hits someone that's in that area, they have no one to turn to mm -hmm. because everyone in their life sees them as a utility, sees them as a means to an end, even their quote unquote close friends. Right. They have no, they have no sentimental value. It's only a fiscal value. Right. right. And, or some, a right. fame value. And there's people do want to be known for more than that. 
mm-hmm. they want to have mm-hmm. a real connection and you can't be re- truly connected with somebody who's only trying to suck your fame from you like a fucking vampire mm. which takes us to our next story. not really i'm not talking about <laughs> vampires it's a lie. all right so your turn my turn what do you got i am doing by request of our twitter followers okay okay uh the majority of them wanted to hear about amityville which was a surprise to me because you know in my head amityville has been around literally since before i was born and we've had all the movies and everything so i feel like i had felt like it had played itself out but that is not the case really and i found out a lot of fascinating stuff um one is that and i kind of found this out recently but for years i thought the thing was a hoax that they had admitted it that it was uh, all just a hoax yeah, not true. Really? Yeah, but we'll get there. So wait, so we're gonna debunk a debunking? Yes. Whoa. I know. We're we, going deep. It's inception now. <laughs> at this terror. I love it. I okay. love it. So, just to let everybody know, I got my information hmm. from several online sources, hmm. including Wikipedia. In Wikipedia. Easy for you to, <laughs> easy for you to say. Yes. Uh, the. Uh, uh, documentary my amityville horror Mm. which is with one of the sons we'll talk about that in a little bit and the films the book amityville the amityville horror and other sleuthing that i've you know did a lot of research on this it's a big one all right all right so for those who don't know amityville is known because it's the location of a home at 112 ocean avenue where six members of the defeo family were murdered in 1974 as well as reported supernatural shenanigans that terrorized the Lutz family who moved into the same house just over a year after the murders took place. The book The Amityville Horror by Jay Anson, which was published in 1977, has been adapted into a series of films and is based on the Lutz family's experiences within the house. I did not realize they had moved in so quickly after the murders. 13 months after the murders. Damn. Yes. How is that legal? It is. It just is. Yeah. That's fucked up. So, did they know? Yes. Okay. Well, I guess then buyer beware. They didn't just know. They were told. Let me get there. Let me get there. Okay. 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 Sorry. Sorry. I'm just, I'm just like, Amityville. It's called Amityville because it's named after the town of Amityville, which was founded in the 1600s. Didn't realize it was that old. old. It was founded in the 1600s. It's a small city of about 10,000 people in Suffolk County, New York, which is. On the south side of Long Island. Long this, Island. Long Island, which is the southeastern corner of New York State. East Coast geography. I'd, I, I didn't know any of that. <laughs> you knew it was on the East Coast. I knew it was on the East Coast, but I just, East Coast for me is just like just this giant block of land where everything yeah. is just together, like in yeah. alphabet soup. You know, in, in New York, the little sticky outy part? The the are we talking about like the urine smell in Central Park? Or? <laughs> no, no, you know the little on the on the state, the little sticky out part, the little the penis, the little yeah, it's on the New York penis. Okay, so the sa- oh, okay. under the underside, that's the undercarriage of the New York penis. That's how you. So the the famunda. <laughs> Sure. (laughs) This is how you get me into geography. Yeah, okay. As you make allusions to penises. That's where this horrible thing happened. (laughs) That's 
That's where most horrible things happen. The horrible thing are the DeFeo murders. Okay. Right. So you have a family who lived there. There was uh, Ronald DeFeo Sr., his wife Louise, and they had four children. Don, I'm sorry, five children. Don, Allison, Mark, John Matthew, and Ronald Jr., otherwise known as Butch. Okay. Right, like a butcher almost, if you think about Weird. it. Weird, like maybe that they way. knew mm-hmm. ahead of time what was going to happen. So, yes. Uh, <laughs> what is it with today and nicknames? I know. That have it's nothing to do very with. Very strange. <laughs> uh, so, Ronald Butch DeFeo Jr. is 23 year old. 23 years old. He's the eldest son. Basically, he goes into a bar at night, says he thought his family had been killed. Spoiler alert. He fucking killed his family. Yeah. Police found the bodies of Butch's parents, Ronald and Louise, each shot twice. And his siblings, Don, Allison, Mark, and John Matthew, each shot once. Mm, even the kid. Even That's the what kids. I mean. And I kind of, I so, knew that, but even the kids. Crazy part. They were all face down in their beds as if they were asleep. I don't think I know that many people who sleep on their stomach, first of all. Second of all, there is evidence that Louise, the mom, and Allison, the younger daughter, uh, she, the younger one had been shot in the face. And the Louise, <sighs> there was evidence that they were both awake and knew what was happening. Right. Well, I mean, it makes sense if, if, if this guy was, if Butch was going to go down and just kill every single one of them, like it had to have wake, woken some of them you up. You would think. And so there was, uh, people thought maybe they were drugged. No evidence in the toxicology report said they were drugged at all. Oh, God. And just, now I'm just thinking of the kids, like hearing the gunshots and waiting mm-hmm. in their beds for something to happen because they didn't know what was going on. And then, yep. oh, fuck. That's yeah. fucking dark. He tried to say uh, he thought it was like a hitman or something. And then, so the cops actually put him in under protective custody. But they go to the house and find all of the bodies. Um, and they, the coroner states they probably were killed around 3.15 in the morning. Okay. The next day, Butch, like, goes to work. He worked at his dad's car dealership in Brooklyn. Goes to the dealership. Was like, where's my whole family? I don't know what's going on. I can't get a hold of everybody. I assume that's what he sounded like. <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> hung out with friends and made a big deal of, like, not being able to get a hold of them. And then went over... Uh, late, then late, late went into this bar and is like, oh no, my whole family's dead. Uh, so it was like the happened. next night he it like, was, went out to the bar. Yeah, like he killed him at 3.15 in the morning. Went to work the next day. Went to work the next day. Like, hold of my family. And then later, and then later that, that night. So they are, this had been dead in the house for there. almost 24 hours yes. by the time he was, fuck. Right, right. Yeah. So Butch was an abuser of heroin and LSD who also had antisocial personality disorder based upon the uh, the prosecution's psychiatrist. Uh. For those who don't know, antisocial personality disorder is defined by a pervasive and persistent disregard for morals, social norms, and the rights and feelings of others. Huh. It's a Weird. clinical description of an asshole. Weird that he would be a murderer. I know. Isn't that shocking? Said no Happens, one. They happen to be, a, there are a lot of criminals who have this. Go figure. There must be some correlation. Right. So he pretty quickly confessed and said, uh, once I started, I just couldn't stop. It went so fast. Uh... He even showed cops where to find the gun and some other evidence and stuff like that. Oh, right. Fuck. Uh... 
So the guy was, was, was he like, do we know if he was like high when he did it? We don't know if he, he just, we just know he was an abuser of drugs. So it's probably safe to assume, but, uh, he immediately, pretty quickly asked the cops for information about his dad's insurance. Yeah. And so they think that he. Way to play it smooth. You dumbass. Right. That was the, uh, assumption as he was killing them for money, but it really could have just been. Just to do it. And yeah. I'm like, oh, hey, I might as well make a little money out of this. Yeah, he was a, he was a spoiled rich kid is really what he was. He mm. if, And if he didn't get his way, he threw fits. And killed and his whole family, apparently. Killed his whole family. His whole family who dealt, well, his parents, who dealt with his temper tantrums by just giving him more shit. Oof. So there's a lesson, right? Don't spoil your kids or they will shoot you in your head. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Ooh. So his story over the years has changed quite a bit. He has different versions of the story. Do you want to hear some of them? Yes. Okay. Is he still alive? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I didn't know that. Yeah. How he, was he still? But he was, he was convicted, right? He was convicted, but he was sentenced to like... Uh, to life or something? 28. Let's see. I have it down here somewhere. Um... Do they, not, do they have the death penalty? In... Bottom line, on November 21st, 1975, he was found guilty of murder and sentenced to six concurrent sentences of 25 years to life. So I guess not. I guess it was 150 years. That's a lot of years. But I guess there's no death penalty in, in New York or there wasn't at the time or something. There could have been. I don't know. But maybe they just wanted him to suffer the way that I feel like he should suffer, which and, is without have, being free and, for 150 and years. And have everyone else pay for it. Of course, sure. Well, it's cheaper. It's <laughs> actually cheaper to keep them alive than it is. Is it? Absolutely. Oh, Just, well then keep him alive. Fuck. Yeah, look at this look at the statistics. It's I will have it's cheaper to. than the death penalty costs quite a bit more. So what damn. I know. That's fucked up. Well, I mean, I guess that's encouraging in some ways, but yeah. also weird to think about. Anyway, so I'm right. sorry, I'm, I'm leaning us down another path. So, so what were some of his stories? So his stories have changed. Yeah, okay. So he's so, going to be what? How old would he be now in his 60s, 70s? Why are you asking me to do that? I don't know, I was trying to <laughs> I know you've had a Moscow mule or he two. He was in his twenties <laughs> in the seventies. Oh, so he's got to be in his seventies now. Sixties, sixties, probably. Sixties, seventies. Yeah. Fuck. Um, okay. So yeah. and his story's changed. Okay. Sorry. So I just, here's his this story. This blows my mind. I didn't I know. know he was still alive. Yeah, he's still alive. So he said his sister had killed their father, and their mother had then killed his sister because she was upset that the sister had killed the father, and then his mother killed everyone else because she was super upset, and then he killed his mother out of self defense. Huh. And it was just all coincidence. They were they face were down in their, in their beds. beds. Yeah. Yeah. He was like, yeah, she got. Yeah. Really and this nice. is his sister, Dawn. He waited, the, crucially, he waited until she had gone back to bed after killing everybody. I guess. Yeah. I suppose. What a, that's, uh, that's believable. He claimed at one point that he had actually been married with a kid and living in New Jersey when his mom called him to the house to break up the fight between his sister, Dawn. This is the same sister that he said had killed his father before. His, um, and his father. Okay, so when Just he arrived, Don has killed... Party. Yeah. Don had killed everyone in the house when he got there, and then he accidentally killed her when they struggled with a gun. In bed. Yeah. He tried to say his wife's brother was there and could definitely back him up. The problem with that story is the woman that he claimed to be married to was married to someone else at the time, and she actually, like, found him while he was in prison and got married while he was in prison. Wow. And there's no record of her ever having a brother. So this guy's just never heard of, like, the internet. No. Well, no, I think this was time, in the but, 80s or, when or he started Or just research. This. Yeah, right. Exactly. <sighs> so another, <laughs> another so good one. So he's stupid in addition to being an asshole. Yeah. Well, he yeah, probably thinks stupid he's a genius. Assholes. You know those but guys. But stupid assholes always do, don't yeah, they? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, okay. Another good one. 
uh, because then this is again, he fucking hated his sister Dawn because it's always her fault. In yeah, his mind. it's Dawn. It's, it's Dawn's Dawn. fault. They she must have gotten a Christmas present he didn't. One right. Year or she was probably really good in school and like had more friends and shit. And so he just really resented her. Uh-huh. <laughs> the whole killings were because he just hated Dawn. <laughs> this is what <laughs> I'm saying. Okay, so <laughs> this story is that he thought his parents were going to kill him, were going to have him killed. Yeah, this, yeah. And so... <laughs> that was me. If you couldn't hear, that was me gulping down a really hard yeah, swallow he did a, he of did a my double Moscow take mule because I was like, what? Yeah, okay. so his parents were going to kill him. So he and a couple of friends were going to kill his parents. And when they got done killing his parents, Don had killed the kids. I, and he was so mad at her that he killed her. And apparently this all happened with the same gun. Well, that's convenient. Yeah, right? Isn't it? Isn't it? I love how he keeps trying to float these different stories. Like, okay, okay, but okay, that one was bullshit. <gasps> what this about one this? is real. What about this one? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like, oh, you got us. Like, that's the ticket. Yeah, no, it was my sister. And then she killed. And then I know that one. Okay, well, how about this? It was my sister. Right. And we did it like, it's like. Yeah. He's basically playing a game of Scrabble. Exactly. And none of it is ever supported by any evidence it's because they're all in bed he just has vowels it's scrabble with just vowels like he <laughs> can't make any words it's ridiculous <laughs> and dawn is the one consonant yeah what happened in court though is that his lawyer william weber claimed insanity and that butch was hearing voices that told him to kill his family but because he was crazy and they had a they had a psychiatrist that said that that was all real but the prosecutor's psychiatrist said, no, nah, he's just got antisocial personality disorder or whatever. Whatever I mean, it was. If he's going to lie about that much stuff and try to float that many lies, like why would he not just be like, fine, let's then I'm crazy. Yeah. I mean, is he actually crazy or is he lying about being crazy? Either case is kind of right. easy the to understand. Biggest mystery. He's certainly a liar. Absolutely. And he's a murderer. Absolutely. And certainly a murderer. a murderer, yes. The, the, because like the guy, that he, the hitman that he said killed the family was not even in the state. Proven not in the state when that happened. So the, the so thing he had, that, a, he had an actual guy in mind for the oh, hitman yeah. role. Yeah. See, this is like, and this they is were like probably a, This connected. is like a writer trying to work out a murder mystery that, that right. he's writing. He's it's, like, he how about this, 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 this. Yeah, he didn't troubleshoot it before he presented it. And it's like, you can just see, he just led us into that process. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they were like, no, you, doesn't, you really, we can see, we can see the seams. It's, yeah, it's not. We can see the not, zipper up the back. It's mm, not, The plot is really not. It's so, convoluted. Yeah. He had um, a pretty volatile relationship with his father already. Everybody knew that. Mm. Um, the motivation was probably money. That's what ended up, and, and that's when he was convicted because of that. The weird part is that there was no suppressor on the gun. Mm. So how did he kill his whole family face down in their beds and no one woke up or ran away or got out or anything? And there was no drug. You said we said there's no, they, no one They was weren't drug. drugged at all. That's it's weird. weird. It kind of makes a lot of people think maybe there was a second person involved or something more happened than just that. Hmm. But I think realistically, if he's got a gun and killing people, he's telling them what to do. Lay down face down on that bed. Lay down face down on that bed. You know what I mean? So Yeah, I guess. But it's But I mean, here's strange. the thing. But here's and here's my well, here's the thing I want to say to that. Like if, you know, the the kids Sadly, I could see just doing whatever he said, mm-hmm. or I could also see the kids just waking up to the sound of gunshots and and whatever else was going on, and thinking I'm just going to wait in my bed until mom. I'm going to cover come. up with blankets. Yeah, yeah. I, could, I could see could doing that. But anyone that was old enough, um, 
if someone if someone had a gun on you and said lay down in the bed face down would you do it no because I'd assume oh you want me to do that because you're going to fucking kill me right. and I'm going to go down fighting like if I know they're yeah. going to kill me anyway I am not going to fucking do what they say but is that your brother now th- to be fair though everybody my knew. brother with a history of violence right. and, and like drug even use everybody in the who may be having an episode so I think these yeah. motherfuckers going to kill me everybody no, in the school everybody wouldn't... that knew them were like oh yeah he fucking did it like, everybody knew it because yeah, he's so crazy. so clearly. And the family's got to know that. And, of course, I say that myself. I don't know how I'd write actual relax right. if someone did that. I mean, I'd like to think that I'd be the kind of guy that would go down fighting. But I might just cave and do exactly what he said. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Exactly. I don't know. Yeah. But that is a weird detail. Uh-huh. Because that's uh-huh. how many people? Five? Six. Six. Six that are dying. And yeah. this, that's, that's... And the neighbors didn't hear anything. Had to wait. What? Yeah, no, it was at three fifteen in the morning. So if you're but deep asleep, but that's all. But three fifteen in the morning. But that's six loud gunshots. No, eight. Fucking loud. Because the parents were shot twice. That's right. Eight shit. It makes me think maybe there was a suppressor used, and the police just didn't find it. Find it, or or maybe, or maybe aliens. No, maybe people. (laughs) Maybe people did hear something and called it in, and the police didn't respond. Uh well, and that's them covering possible. their ass, maybe. But then they would have just well, there was a surprise or whatever. Like they had to, I, I don't know. But I mean, yeah. I don't know. I think this guy odd. fucking killed his family. I think that's the yeah, bottom line true. is the gut. But yeah. but there may and there may have been someone else. Did he ever say there was someone else involved? Um, other than only him? like he the had friends involved in... or the hitman or his sister or stuff like that. So <sighs> we don't. I mean, we don't know the answers. It's weird, but it can be explained. It can be explained. It's yeah, just weird. It's anyway, he's in prison. Um. And he's convicted in 1975. So hmm. the uh, murders happen on, let me find that date, November 13th, 1974. The Lutz family. That I would like to point out that today is November 13th, Jamie. Oh, fuck. We are recording this. This, oh, this, this will fuck. come out in a few days, ladies well, and gentlemen. This but we're recording it on November 13th. Totally and we're recording un- it a day early. Then normal, normally we do this on November 14th, but I had to leave town. Oh, yeah, we normally record on Wednesdays. So I... Well, well that's totally just on purpose. <laughs> we did it. Look at... We're so clever. Fuck. Now I'm going to be creeped out all day. Anyway. <laughs> all right. The Lutz family moves in in December of 1975. So it's literally <laughs> a uh, 13 months after these murders happen. The... <laughs> They buy the house for $80,000 and pay an extra $400 for all of the furniture. <gasps> they kept the furniture? Yes. The murder furniture? There's everything except for the mattresses. Oh, thank God. Well, I guess the mattresses had... Same beds. Just different mattresses. Oh, I know. Were they were they hard up for money? Were no, they, was it just? I mean, were no. like, Was that the best deal they could get? It was anywhere? a really good deal, but they weren't hard up for money. That's fucked up right like whoever made that decision on behalf of the whole whole family was like yeah someone just got murdered here like a year ago and we're gonna have their furniture where they like slept on and yeah you know, maybe and died on uh but it's cool it's cool it's gonna be like, fun like, yeah that's not that's, gonna be weird that's fucked up i'm sorry that's a fucked up that's a fucked up whoever like the patriarch or matriarch of that family i love how strongly you feel about this right i just now. no no i would not if <laughs> i were a no, father i mean if i no. were a father or a mother or uh-huh. a or, or a and if i was if i was the one that had to make a, the decision of where my family lived i would not fucking choose to like have my kids yeah. or my significant other 
sleeping in a bed where someone had just died a yeah. year prior. A child. Violently. Yeah. A child. Mm, fuck uh-huh. that. Uh-huh. Maybe okay. I'm overreacting. Would you like to hear about the Lutz family? Yes. Okay. I feel like I know a lot about them suddenly. You do. Because it turns out George Lutz was a fucking asshole. Shocking. Yeah. So he was a non-practicing Methodist, self-proclaimed non-practicing Methodist. So is he, he was a Methodist without method. I like it. Yeah. That's exactly what he is. <laughs> I feel like wah, Methodists wah. should make that shirt. Uh, <laughs> he was an ex-Marine, and he, he was a well-to-do guy. He did really well. So, yeah. Um, so they could have afforded they could afford a non-murder house. They could it. have, yeah. From, you know, what from the- what I've read, he was not hard up. He why, was fine. Why choose that house? I don't know, but we there are theories we can get into later. Okay, okay so uh, he's such an asshole that Lorraine motherfucking Warren doesn't like him. Of Lorraine and, and, and Ed Warren? Uh, Lorraine famous, and Ed motherfucking Warren. Yes. Would you like to tell everybody who oh, Lorraine uh, motherfucking Warren oh, is? Well, they probably know, but they're, they're probably most known now for being the demonologist that the Conjuring franchise is based around. Mm-hmm. Um, they, uh, they've gone to... Oh, they've done... Well, Ed has now passed away. He did, yeah. He passed away. Actually, well, not long after away. this. Really? I didn't know. It was the early eighties. I don't know for sure though. Well Lorraine's been kicking and doing things for years, years. And and she's a very I mean, she's I mean, I don't know her obviously, but I think she's a very sweet, religious, deeply religious, uh, Catholic, I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, little old woman and for Yeah, so what she has said is that he was a very he was he was a hard person and and you you he he was you had to tiptoe around him and it was just a lot to take in. Which for sweet little old lady talk is he was a fucking asshole. And, uh, and that's, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. That's, so, yeah. She, when a little old lady talks shit about you, veiled You see, and Vera shit. Farmiga, isn't that her name? Vera Farmiga, who plays her in The Conjuring films. Uh-huh. And then Ed Warren is played by Patrick Wilson, oh, I believe. Yeah, so, I love him. Like, I think that she does, based on what I've seen, of Lorraine, and I think Vera does a, a smashing job at, at it. And also, I like the Conjuring film. The first one, I, I've only ever, I, I like, I really like the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just really good. Good. Yeah, they're scary good. Movie. They're really good. But it's so, it's sold by the performances. Anyway, she, sorry. But she is talking to them. Like she's, she, they're using her for the films and stuff like that. Yeah. So she's, she's, what is it called? It's a word. It's consultant. a simple word. She's a consultant. Yes. Lorraine, Lorraine uh, yes, Warren is a, is a consultant, consultant on those, those films. films. Yeah. So she also, it's her group. Uh, that went in the parapsychologist group afterwards. There's a um, a woman that interviewed them after all of this happened, uh, and she kind of got the rights to like exclusive interviews and stuff like that mm-hmm. for the news and stuff. Her name is let me look Laura Didio Didio. I don't know. Didio. But Daddy she basically Daddy got him by saying, "I can get in touch with some parapsychologists." Those are the parapsychologists that went in afterwards. Um, and uh, George Lutz met the them there after they left, which I haven't even gotten into that. <laughs> but after <laughs> they left, um, they're the ones that took that did the investigation and took. And Lorraine's people, camera guy, took a picture, and mm. that's the picture that the little boy is in. The the the, the famous picture of the boy with yeah, the glowing eyes. There was no boy on the, on the, in the, that house like whatsoever. In yeah, the and it's going to be the cover of this uh, episode that's on the website, so you can picture. check it out. Yeah. So okay. Ooh. Anyway. Yeah. Damn. George Les is a dick. That's what that's all all of that is to well, say. Well, he moved his family into a fucking murder house yeah. when he had plenty of money to move them into a 
non-murder house. Right. And surely there were more non-murder houses than murder houses on the market. You would think. I mean, you would just think. generally. Yeah. It is New York. Kathy, his wife, was a non-practicing Catholic. She had three kids, Danny, Christopher, and Missy, from a previous marriage with her high school sweetheart. Uh, they divorced. She met George. He basically said he would not marry her if he couldn't adopt the kids. So hmm. they talked the bio dad into allowing adoption, which, of course, left everyone with bad feelings, <laughs> hurt hearts, the kids with hurt hearts, right? Yeah, they had to be uh, like, hey, you're not our dad anymore. This, this, this guy is. Right? He wants us to live in a murder house. Yeah. Danny Lutz says... He's this, he was the eld, he's the eldest son. He was 10 at the time. He said that George wanted to stamp his label on them. The kids hate George. The gr- I mean, they're grown up now, but they hate him. They still hate him. Still hate so him. So this wasn't just childhood going, you're not my dad. This is like, even as adults, they fucking hate yeah, George. Pretty much Danny in the documentary, when they bring up George and him being dead, he smiles and says he can't help himself. And he's just glad that he's not in prison for being the one who did it. What the fuck is that story? Hates him. So okay. what did George do? Well, um, let's just get back to the house. <laughs> okay. okay. So they moved into the house in December of 1975 and left after 28 days in the house, claiming to have been terrorized by supernatural shenanigans that happened within the house. Which is the basis of like all the movies and uh-huh. stuff. That's right? where the book, it's yeah. started with a book. and right, then, right. Well, it started with a couple of news articles and then a magazine article and then a book and then, okay. Danny Lutz, oh wait, that, that's the wrong thing, sorry. Um, the house went into foreclosure and the Lutzes moved to San Diego. All the way to fucking San Dan Diego. Wait, so the house went in for foreclosure? Yes. How, were they not, wait, so they weren't paying? They on? were only there 28 days. Wow, so, less than a month. Something to keep in mind, they weren't there long enough to go into foreclosure. So it's not like they couldn't afford it and this was their excuse to get out of the house. They left and then let it go into foreclosure because they weren't living there and had to pay for somewhere else to live. Shit. Yeah. Okay. 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 You follow? Yeah, I'm following you. Um, So there's some talk that he had some financial, that George had some financial difficulties after they got in. But um, even if that was the case, they would not, it was way too fast to be in foreclosure. 28 days is, you know, it's not even a month. It's not. mm, mm. Right. Okay, so here are a few claims from the Lutzes about what happened in the home. Okay. And, yeah, okay. There were jolting sounds, and activity would start at 3.15 in the morning, which we know is when they were reportedly when killed. they were killed, yeah. Um, and he backed that up when he told them when he killed everybody. Mm, mm, mm. Uh, George had a hard time getting warm. He was cold all the time mm-hmm. and would get more and more aggressive. And... Uh, he would seal the doorways and turn the fire like there was a fire, like a hearth, and he would hearth, depending upon how you say it. Um, it's, it's hearth. It's hearth, right? Jack always gets on to me about it. Anyway, it should be hearth. It looks like it looks hearth. like hearth. It makes it's no a hearth. sense that it's called hearth, but, but it, it is. is. Hearth. Yeah. Uh, so and and knowing it now just makes me think. Wait, which one is it? So I'm never gonna know. That's fine. Okay. I'll always be here to help. It's hearth, folks. <laughs> Okay, so anyway. Okay, so so he would so back if he would he would put filing cabinets. What were you saying? Is that, that he would put like blankets and blankets. Did okay. I say file? I hope I didn't. God, this Moscow mule is going to. Town. I'm, sorry, I'm going to take that. this from you and finish it. No, because no, no, I'm no. thirsty. Okay. Well, you don't take Okay, it. sorry. So okay, so blankets. So get back to okay. So put, what were you saying he would about like the hearth? he would put um, blankets in front of the doors and stuff to seal out any cold air from coming in. Okay, and okay. the windows, and he turned the fire up really high. Like he would put That's a lot of wood in there and just like stack wood 
and it would be really, really hot in there mm. because he was cold. And then they would still feel cold spots moving throughout the house. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, there was like one standard one that was somewhere in the kitchen, which was right off of where the fireplace was. And so it just didn't make sense for these cold spots to be there. Uh, there was a rocking chair that would rock without anybody in it. I remember that from the movie. And yeah, that's apparently So that was a detail they got right. Okay. Yeah. Oof. There's a thing about the two red eyes in the window. Uh, also basically. From the movie. That yeah. So scares the shit out of me still. Right. So and this is Danny says that he was actually out helping close the garage door that would open and close and open and close and open and close. And they got it shut. And when they went back in, he looked into his sister's window, which was above the pool, I believe, Mm -hmm. and saw what he describes as a cartoon character of an angry pig with wolf-like teeth and red eyes like laser beams in that window. (laughs) That, okay, Two things I'm going to say about that. <laughs> so I just have to chime in here. Yeah. One, uh, of course, <laughs> that's, I mean, but that's what makes it seem, because he still says that, right? Mm-hmm. He's a grown ass man mm-hmm. uh, and he still maintains that. Yeah. No one, in my opinion, no one who's trying to pull one over on you is yeah. going to tell that fantastical it's a lie. pretty ridiculous yeah. so he saw something and his childhood mind only knew how to frame it within the experience of what he'd seen on television or whatever like it's cartoon pig or right. whatever but something that that is crazy as that sound that makes me believe him because right. that's not a lie anyone would ever expect to float especially if you were grown up right i agree father ray the priest there's a lot of controversy about the priest, whether he came. For a little while, the church said they did. Then later, they were like, it never happened. So you, we don't know. I know it's weird, but you can't really trust the Catholic Church to tell you the truth on this situation. Really? I know. Just calm down. Um, I'm going to need another <laughs> sip of my drink. Drink, that yeah. I don't know yeah. That I'm not even a lapsed Catholic. I'm I know. A, I, I know. was never an unlapsed Catholic. Yeah. So... Kathy's story was that he was there and left really quickly and heard the whole, like, get out thing, you know, which is in the book. Um, Right, okay. Danny said his experience was was he saw him there and he wanted to show him his room, but he, while the father was there going through blessing the rooms, he was told to take this box upstairs um, or do something. And he went uh, to do this, and then by the time he came back, Father Ray was gone. Hmm. Like he just went to do an errand when they were moving in and came back. The priest was just gone. Checked out. Yeah. Just gone. Yeah. Another. And then the other thing that happened when they moved in is he, he was taking a box to the playroom, a different box, taking it to the playroom. And when he got up there, there were four to 500 flies in that room. He killed a few of hundred flies with like a newspaper, was kind of proud of himself (laughs) and went to go get his mom (laughs) so she could see it. And when they got up there, there were no flies. Not even dead ones, the ones he had killed. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Another story uh, that's told by the family is that uh, Danny's hands were caught in a window in the sewing room. Like, Hmm. his hands were outside and something shut the window. According to George, it looked, it was like something slammed the door on his fingers, the window on his fingers, and wouldn't let them get it out. And so it took several people to pry the window open so he could get his out, his hands out, and that it was basically flesh on flesh. That's how smashed his fingers were. Oh, God. So they took him downstairs. Like through the bone and everything. Ugh. Yeah. They took Ugh. him downstairs. Um, and his mom was like, I'm going to get ice. Because 
that'll fix it. But so she, yeah, she wanted to get ice on it. And while they were sitting there, uh, he was, she was getting the ice. He said that he and his mother witnessed this spirit come through the door, bump into the mom, knock over the thing that she was holding and that fell on the floor. And then it sat down like in the corner of the um, banquet table or uh, chairs, like in the corner of it by the like kitchen breakfast table nook thing. Yeah. It sat there and just kind of sat there. Did did they say what it looked like? It was just a shadow of a figure. Uh, But it knocked stuff over. So then the mom, you know, he still got these smushed hands. So she wraps them and they swell to uh, what Danny says is five times their normal size. And then in a split second, his hands are fine. Completely fine. What the fuck? There's no damage except one of his pinkies is really crooked. And that, he says, never recovered. But everything else was fine. It was like a group hallucination. The window, even. Like, the window and all that was like... So, I mean, if that was flesh on flesh, like, his bones would have been broken and nothing. Nothing. Nothing at all. Nothing. Did anyone else in the family corroborate that? Like, did his Uh, mom... His mother and father did. Wow. Yeah. That... How weird. And again, like trying to sell well, that story. Well, that's George's story too. That's such a weird story to try mm-hmm. to expect to get away with if it wasn't true. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, huh. and, and, and during that, whatever spirit had come in there had disappeared. The shape that, the yeah. shape that was sitting at the table. Yeah. So basically once they moved in, all of the, the men and the boys became violent while the women became super charmed by the house and almost like overly caretaking. Yeah, which is weird. They had subtle personality changes um, and short, violent tempers. Now, there's a story that George tells about how there's one day that he and Kathy ran around with with wooden spoons spanking the kids. And that it made him violent towards his kids. And he hated the house because of this. Mm. That said, Danny and Christopher, the other brother, said he did that before they ever moved in there. He beat them with wooden spoons. I mean, we've already, well he's already the kind of guy yeah. that would have no problem so moving it's his like, kids into a house like this. How convenient to blame this haunting on your fucking abuse, you asshole. Yeah. 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 So uh, anyway, uh, the, there's the green slime in the boathouse that we know right. from, the, from the films. Uh, it's surprising but, to hear how much of, of, of the film comes from their stories. Right. But Rather than just Hollywood. I mean, I, I realize, of course, when they make a film, they're going to dress it up. Yeah. Well, lot, it's but... it's definitely way. It's it's based on the book, which is pretty much based on. on it's, yeah. It's not. It's a very extreme version inspired by the events. It is not. Right. Yeah. Right. So uh, Kathy says when they took down the Christmas decor after Christmas, all hell broke loose. Hmm. On the last day they were there, uh, George heard noises from the son's room underneath them on the second floor. I think they were on the third floor, something like that. Maybe Vice switched around, but he heard them. He could not go get to the boys' room because Kathy had turned into what looked like a really old lady and was levitating over the bed. Meanwhile, the boys said they were in their room and their beds were levitating and bouncing into the ceiling. I know you can't hear this, but my head is tilted almost (laughs) entirely to one side. Yeah. Yeah, so that's what they said. The reason they left is because... Like they they didn't have reason enough. Right. 
here's the reason. I always thought like it was so bad, you know, because you see it in the movies. It's so bad. They run away. Yeah, and it's they a jump climactic out. moment. Like we yeah. got to get out. And then they get out and it's fine. The reason they actually left is because they called the priest because he had never come back. And they were like, we need you to come bless this house. You didn't finish blessing it. And now we have all these problems and we really need you to bless the house. And the priest said, why are you still there? That's, well, <laughs> it's like, I thought you guys were behind me. Right. When I came. <laughs> <laughs> right. Where the I fuck? I thought you just grabbed your boxes and headed back out. So they left because the priest said, why are you still there? And that's, and then they were like, fucking yeah, why are we still here? Let's grab some shit and roll. And they left with like the clothes on their back. I think there's some reports that say they had a couple of changes of clothes, mm-hmm. uh, which always seemed like a really big deal to me. But then when you think, I mean, all of the most of the furniture and belongings inside the house were that's the true DeFeo family anyway it's like well so we'll you just, just had to buy some other clothes it. yeah it's, it's probably easier to make that decision yeah because it yeah. wasn't there was no real investment right. with the i mean low emotional investment with the furniture yeah so um hmm. the house sat vacant until april 1977 which is a year and a few months okay okay and there's a family called the cromarties They moved in and always said there was no activity in the house. Interestingly, right after they moved in, this famous article in Good Housekeeping came out sending people to basically harass the Cromarties because they lived in the house, right? So they would have people just show up all hours of the day and night being like, oh, there's ghosts in your house. Oh, you're haunted. There's the devil. Who fucking does that, by the way? Who goes and visits a house lived in by a private citizen that you hear is haunted? Like, what the fuck do you think is going to happen? Well, I think... You and know. what's that instinct to go and harangue people that live in such a house? It's yeah. like, they're not the one. I mean, these people are I think maybe the there's an said, assumption that they're as interested in the history as, as the person who's Or that, going. well, you're just going to watch the house and what? Yeah. You're going to stake out and see if a ghost, you know, peeks yeah. at you from the window? Like, like, it's so fucking stupid. At one night in the middle of the night, uh, Mr. Cromarty, because I don't know his name. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Cromarty. He woke up and, like, someone was playing taps outside the house. <laughs> And he was like, you're very clever. Very clever. <laughs> like, Here's a rock. Yeah, yeah. The Lutzes ended up suing Good Housekeeping and the author who worked for the New, Year's, New York Daily News that wrote the article mm-hmm. and the New York Daily News for, like, invasion of private privacy or something like that. But well, it, it made their life hell. Well, no, this is the Lutzes. The Lutzes sued them. Why, wait, what? Whoa, 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 why did the Lutzes sue them? They sued them for uh, invasion of privacy. But they, okay. And basically, here's... But didn't they, they ah, told their story? Sorry, okay. No, because nothing was out yet. They had done some interviews, but they didn't do this interview for Good Housekeeping. So they were like, hey, you can't just post what we say without, like, our okay on it, right? Mm. Um, and that was a lawsuit. Interestingly, the book came out five months later. Oh, they were just mad at the fucking article for maybe cutting into sales from the book. They didn't want... It's like spoilers. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Oh, that's yeah. shady as fuck. Uh, when it came out, though, the book, The Amityville Horror, it was on the bestseller list for 42 weeks. That's insane. Yeah. Yeah. It was a very long time. It is one of the most popular and well-known yeah. cases because of that book. I right. think it's the only book I am aware of of the dealing with a paranormal that's ever been on the New York Times bestseller list for yeah. any length of time. After the book came out, the Cromarties who currently lived at the house were mm-hmm. like, fuck this. Like, it got real crazy. <laughs> it's like, we can't live here anymore. So then the Cromarties 
sued <laughs> the Lutzes. Oh God. Yeah, it got sued crazy. Uh, the Lutzes, <laughs> Anson, the author of the book, as well as the publisher of the book for fraud. They wanted them to take off true story. Basically, they wanted them to say this is not based on a true story or this is not a true story because it doesn't even say based on a true story. It just says a true true story. story. Yeah. 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 And so they were, were they trying to like, were they, I mean, surely they, by now they were determined to leave the house, but they're just. No, the Cromartie stayed there for years. Really? Yeah. I would fucking leave. I think there's four or five different families that have lived there since it happened. Hmm. So people move and stay for a while. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, well, a while for today's standards. Well, sure, sure, sure. <laughs> it ended up, uh, they ended up getting a six-figure undisclosed sum in 1982 from their lawsuit. Right. The house still exists, but it's been renovated, and the address changed in order to discourage tourists from visiting it. Like, those big windows that look like eyes, those are gone. They took those out completely. Oh, like so, the, those are the, those, those are the yeah. iconic... Yes. It's a Dutch colonial revival architecture. Uh-huh. Not that you didn't know that. <laughs> um, it's weird that I would know that. But and actually, it was built in 1927, so I guess the DeFeos didn't build it. I read my research. It's fine. <laughs> it was sold in September 10th. This is the last thing I could find. September 10th, uh, September of 2010, for $950,000, which was less than asking price, which was over a million, um, maybe $100,000 less or something like that. Uh-huh. I'm not sure if that's a deal. For that area of Long Island. I mean, but I feel like it's a lot of money for a house where six people were murdered. Well, it depends on, I mean, some. I mean, sometimes having a murder house with that kind of history to it and clearly all the ghost stuff, like that, that makes it a unique property. Well, yeah, it, but that's, that's only if you're into that. If you're into just like living your life and people not harassing you, it seems. Well, but if you're into that, I why the like fuck, why the fuck would you buy a murder house? That's unless true. you were George fucking Lutz. That's true. That's a good point. Um, so then with the book, there's a lot of stuff claimed to happen in the book. Um, and then all of that stuff, which George has had come out before he died, he came out and said, okay, maybe it is exaggerated a little bit, but it stuff really happened. It's just not, you know, all of it was maybe just, it was based on a little bit. Yeah, it was embellished. So you have the book that happened and then more embellishments when the movies were based on the book. So it's just... It gets crazier and crazier, and that um, has kind of elevated the story to what's what's happened. A lot of the stuff in the book is not substantiated by facts. So, right. like, there's this thing about the hoof prints in the snow that are, like, the devil or right, whatever the right, fuck. Right. Yeah, that couldn't have happened because there was no snow at that time of the year. In that year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Little detail, right. you'd think. They'd... The damage that supposedly happened to the hardware in the home, doorknobs, hinges, front door, etc., when people went to the house, it did not have any of that damage. Mm. Uh, the book claims that they called the police. The police are like, nah, they didn't do that. <laughs> um, the kicker is Butch DeFeo's lawyer, William Weber, who we discussed previously. Mm-hmm. He actually helped the Lutzes with their first press conference about it. Hmm. Like, he helped set it up for them. Um, he said they had all made it up over a few bottles of wine, which is... One of the most common beliefs, like it was just made yeah, up. Yeah, that's what I've thought right. all these years, that it was all just bullshit. Yeah. He is the only one that says that. The Lutzes are, have always said, no, that's not the case. If they, we did not make it up. It is true. What is, what, what do you think the, the lawyer's motivation for saying that was? Well, let me tell you. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, good. Um, he said it was a hoax to get Butch off the murder charge by saying the devil made him do it or some bullshit like that. He never... 
ever used that excuse to try to get Butch off for anything else. It was never part of his defense. His defense was insanity, not the devil made me do it. Mm. So why are you going to make this shit up if yeah, what you're not going to use it? it? He was, keep in mind, this guy <laughs> uh, was did not charge DeFeo for his defense because he knew and said he would be popular just for defending him. Like he would get the infamy he wanted. Hmm. He would. He didn't need any money because he'd get the publicity that he yeah. needed. Yeah. So this is a dude that we can already establish based on the things he says is interested in publicity. So he uh, had wanted to set up the DeFeos. Um, DeFeos. Uh, <laughs> he couldn't set them up with anything because they were dead. Um, <laughs> he wanted to set up the Lutzes with a book deal. So he was trying to get them in on this book deal and talk to different authors and he had an author in mind and the Lutzes were like, no, we're cool. We're going to do it ourselves. And so that was a significant amount of income he lost because they decided to not include him at all in any book deals, Mm. movie deals, any of that stuff. When he said it was all fake was the same day the film was released in 1979. Oh, so he would okay. That explains right. It seems he was just yeah. It seems like he was just trying to get that attention. He was just trying to undermine them. Yeah, yeah, and the whole thing. So, um, (laughs) the good housekeeping article that the Lutzes sued over Mm -hmm. that was written by a journalist that Weber had been working with to make money off the Lutzes' experiences without 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 their uh, okay Uh, so that good housekeeping article the reason they got so pissed about it was because weber was behind it because he was pissed that they didn't include him in the book deal wow yeah but that and then the fact that he's the one that got that article written immediately like you can't trust what he believed like did did it happen or did it not happen like which which is it because clearly like you want us to believe one or the other depending on what's helping you in the moment exactly so you can't really trust that dude yeah Um, and that's what ends up happening. You have a lot of people that you just can't fucking trust. So you wonder what really happened. Uh, that, which takes us to Daniel Quarantino Lutz. Who's the, the, the 10 year old boy, right? boy. The window, hands in the window. Yeah. So he was born in 1965. He is the, uh, t- the topic of my Amityville horror, which you can rent, I think right now on, Amazon Prime. Like, you can get it on Amazon. Mm-hmm. I initially saw it on Netflix, but it, I think it's off Netflix now. Okay. So it talks a lot about his experience. Now, this guy, I would say, is unhinged. He... Uh, I've seen a little bit of the documentary, and he's very off-putting. Yeah, yeah. He, there's, he's so intense. He's very intense. He's very defensive. He doesn't seem to like to be interviewed. No, he doesn't. He's really resistant to mm-hmm. everything. And very aggressive, mm-hmm. very aggressive. So he says, on top of the other stuff, he verifies some of the other stuff, that he was thrown up a staircase on his way up the stairs from one floor to another. Like, he was on his way up and then just got thrown up the stairs. He felt a spirit move through him and heard a voice say, it is you. And he mm-hmm. heard that voice for years afterwards. Yeah. Um the be- he said he also verifies that the beds bounced off the ceilings. There were stenches in the house. Uh, the toilet was black, which is the d- worst part of this whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> the, the thousands of flies. It was like a fucking carnival in the house. 
Um, one of his stories is that the dog was going ballistic once with the garage and the garage would open and close and open and close on its own. Mm. And they would have to like fight to get it closed. But once when this was happening, um, and the dog was kind of tied to like a stake in the ground, Mm -hmm. um, the dog jumped over the fence to get away from the garage, but he had that leash on. So he was strangling himself over the fence uh, to get away from it. And Danny had to fight to get the dog back over and the dog survived, but it was a really uh, traumatic experience. I'm sure for this 10 year old boy to yeah. save his dog. Um, and let's see what he feels is that he and George were possessed. He says he lost control of his body at one point for half an hour. The angrier they got, the crazier the stuff got around them. He said he saw George levitate a spoon once and that he was really into the occult Mm. Uh, which is weird. Um, and a lot of this stuff, uh, he ended up actually, when they went on their press tour, he ended up being put into like this Catholic school. And he claims that the priests abused him, beat him up, um, that he had several exorcisms, you know, done on him because he, and he felt too, that he was possessed. Um, and if you watch him, you're kind of like, I think that we might still be a little possessed. Just a little. <laughs> just a little possessed. Um, so what that kind of, it makes me feel as though he is, this kid had some trauma. Like he ended up being homeless for a while. He's had a rough life. I think yeah. he was abused by his father, mm-hmm. his stepfather. Yeah, abandoned by from. his father. Had all this publicity I think there is a lot of, and this is just my opinion, false memories there. Yeah. Not that nothing happened, because I do genuinely believe something happened in that house. I don't think people would leave after 28 days and and lose everything Mm. because they thought that they were going to be famous because of a ghost story. Because at the time, you know, that stuff was really kind of getting play, but it wasn't as popular as it is now. It wasn't, nobody could have guessed it would have been that popular. And I don't think, honestly, George was smart enough to see that future. I think he just took advantage of it as it came. And I could see that. Yeah. I think that's, what's strange to me is, you know, the fact if, if, or this kind of suggestion that George was into the occult. Mm-hmm. Um, if that's true, it could be why he chose to move his family into a house where this had right. happened so recently. Uh, Maybe there, he wanted something to happen. Or he thought there is a belief among, you know, there's pagan beliefs and necromancy beliefs that um, the more recent, that the recent dead can be brought back to serve you if mm-hmm. you know what you're doing. And so maybe he had some fancy idea that he would kind of raise these spirits from their recent tragic death. Right. And uh, according to Danny, he did have books on that kind of thing. Yeah. And so maybe, and it could be, I'm not saying he did those things, but he right. could have been into it and thought he could. Because um, this was also the 70s. And in and the mm-hmm. 70s, this kind of stuff was like um, occultism was beginning to take off in the 70s. Yes. It was the age of Aquarius. Right. So the kind of dark side of like the 70s were kind of like the flip side to the peace and love, sunshiny, hippy-dippy movement of the si- yeah. late 60s. The 70s became like, let's look into like Aleister Crowley. And let's look at, you know, some of the mm-hmm. darker figures from, from occult history and kind of start mimicking them. So it sounds to me like it's possible George Lutz was into this kind of stuff and thought, oh, I can go to this house where this tragic thing has happened and maybe I can make contact with what's here and right. you know uh, feed off of that 
in some way right. for my own ends. I, I mean, again, and that's it just a wild, royally crazy backfired. <laughs> just it backfired, or yeah. it could be that after several weeks there, nothing fucking happened, and he thought, "Fuck this, I'm going to leave," um, or that shit got out of hand, and, right. and you know, whatever. But it seems. It's so hard to know. Yeah, so, you just so don't many know. stories like this, especially the really dark hauntings, mm-hmm. seem to center around childhood trauma mm-hmm. uh, that seem to be experienced by broken families or right. children that are abused. And of course, by that's their Danny. Parents. Now, his brother Christopher mm-hmm. also said what that stuff happened in the house. It was not as extreme as what Danny says. It's not as extreme as what. George and Kathy said his he did say stuff happened and he did get scared mm-hmm. um, and like there was legitimately something haunting the house, but uh, he felt it was George's fault and also hated George. Like mm. he changed his name mm. back to his biological father's name. Mm. Mm. George tried to sue his stepson for uh, for. Um, slander and some other stuff because of of him saying that wow what a right. piece of work fucking asshole he so he died in 2006 and kathy passed away in 2004 they always insisted their story was true if not a little embellished but they always said it was true that some, there was enough stuff to happen in the house that made them feel like they had to leave for their own safety and for their family's safety the only person in this like group that said it was a hoax is the is this piece of shit lawyer who yeah. was just being vindictive because they weren't letting him in probably on that deal yes. and who still tried to make money off of the the story being true yeah yeah but in exactly. his own way now you'll hear that like oh it was on a Native American burial ground and that racist bullshit like it's such a it, common fucking racist thing that we say every haunted house is on it a doesn't ground, make it okay to have slaughtered. Uh, millions of native americans just so you can be like it's it's okay because now they haunt us like no that's, exactly. it's not it's fucking white okay guilt. it's white guilt. See, yeah. we're even now we're even now we right. completely eradicated your culture and now you haunt our right. occasionally because house. the bottom line Fuck is that. all land is sacred to native americans Truth. so <laughs> it's it's just stupid but for those people who like to believe that the historical science society says nothing ever happened on that land that they know of since it was created in the 1600s. The Native American leader, leaders of that area say nothing ever happened there. There was not, it was not a burial ground. Nothing like that was there. All of that is just bullshit that people are making up. So mm-hmm. something to keep in mind. It became that, that whole thing became popular in the seventies as well. Yeah. Um, the, let's see. There's a lot of discussion about it being a hoax from the start, like the whole reason they moved in there. I don't think that that's true. I don't think you can back it up with like a financial disaster and the hope that this is going to turn over and I can write a book that's going to be this. I just don't see someone having that foresight. I can't. I, I can... I, um, I don't see George Lutz having that force. Well, to, to play devil's advocate for a moment here, I can see... It's the wrong house to play devil's advocate. An asshole. <laughs> or is it? Mm. Um, I, I can see an asshole like George Lutz thinking, we're going to make a lot of money. We're going to come here, we're going to pretend it's on it, or I'm going to fuck with my kids' heads, and I'm going to fuck, I'm going to abuse my kids, and I'm going to So he would them. have to know psychiatry and, um, and psychology and know how to... he might have studied... Well, and he could be little kids. I mean, but he, again, I'm just, I'm just, I don't know that I, this is, I don't think this is necessarily the case, but it's a possible interpretation. George Lutz could have been like, we're going to move in, 
uh, because I believe in this occult stuff and maybe if I move in where this murder's happened, the spirits are still here tied to the house, I can use them for something, maybe I can raise them, whatever, I can, it'll be cool. And then he moves in and maybe nothing happens, but he decides to make the most of them and be like, you know what, I'm going to scare the shit out of my kids by just telling them stories, kids are impressionable, maybe I'm going to fuck with them in some way, like maybe I'll make noises, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll do shit, maybe I'll throw them, whatever. And then, you know, and, and just gradually gaslight my family into thinking this house is as haunted as I would like it to be. Mm-hmm. Because I could see, and whether he did that or not, but I could see an asshole like George Lutz going, we'll write a book and we'll make so much fucking money. Right. Here's the thing to keep in mind And about the fact that, that it happened is just, I mean, it wouldn't normally happen, but I could see a dumbass thinking that was a good plan. Right. But. Except they did not allow the children to be interviewed at all, ever. That's part of Danny's problem. That's why he's so mad because he never felt like he got to tell his story. So people now say he has false memories when he says he's remembered it this way the entire time. That is weird. That's, so yeah. it was only ever the why two of them. Why let your family if you're not going to let them if you're not going to use them as witnesses? Right. That is weird. Yeah. Is so weird. it's just I, I, here's what I think happened. This is my belief: is that they moved in, and it was a good deal. And George kind of liked the idea. I don't think he planned it. I don't think he was like, let's move into this murder house. But he was just a morbid guy that thought <laughs> he was just a morbid kind of dude that thought it'd be cool. Here. And then. Because they wanted to keep the furniture too. Right. Well, and, you know, maybe it was just fucking cheap. Maybe. I mean, obviously maybe. he was cheap. But anyway, so I think that they moved in and he maybe he did some like weird seance shit and started mm-hmm. to kind of get into more some more stuff and uh, scared himself. There was actual haunting mm-hmm. that was pretty, it could be really creepy, but I think he probably scared himself and scared the family and cr- they all like, cause they would all have hallucinations together. Right. Right. Um, I think that he created it based off of an actual, I think there's actually something in the house and haunting it. And kind of used him as a conduit. Yeah. And, or he elaborated on it with his own energy, with his own yeah. whatever. Yeah. What I find interesting though, is that the book ends up being kind of this whole metaphor for what happens if you're not a good Christian, right? Like if you get into the occult, look what can happen to you. This too could happen to you mm-hmm. if you get into the occult because, you know, they, they, they opened themselves to this and look what happened. If they had just been good Christians, this never mm-hmm. would have happened. Right. Mm-hmm. So that morality tale is pretty, I think common too for the seventies because yeah. of how big the age of Aquarius was getting. I think the Catholic church was fine, trying to fight back with like William Peter Blatty, the, the author of the exorcist, which mm-hmm. he insisted was based on a true story. And it was based on a true story kind of that had happened a couple of generations prior. Right. But it was a big, very Catholic story about like, mm-hmm. Hey, this is what happened. Right. Look at what you, this is, you, you did know, it to the, yourself. The, that's yeah. Crazy. It's yeah. very interesting. I, I think, Clearly, something happened in that house yeah, that that I agree. was otherworldly. But I, it's but we all been never know so what it muddled was. by all the bullshit and the greed mm-hmm. and and people not knowing, you know, and kids not being allowed to speak. And now, who knows how much their own memory has been tainted by the sort of popular misconceptions? Um, well, I don't know. so here's another reason that uh, makes me believe that something actually happened in the house. Mm-hmm. When I li- I lived in Chicago for about a year. When I was there, I worked at this retail store that was very, very slow. Like, so we'd have three or four people come in the whole entire day. Like, oh, wow. super slow. So, we told ghost stories a lot because the other, like, the managers, and we would just sit around telling ghost stories or whatever. Yeah. And it was me and a manager and this girl who was pretty young. She was probably 17 at the time. Um, <laughs> we were telling ghost stories. And it was mostly me and the manager. 
And this girl was just kind of listening and being like, ooh, that's scary. And she's like, well, I'm not really into that kind of thing. But my parents have these friends who have like, like kind of a story, but kind of not. And I was like, well, what are you talking about? And she was like, well, their house is like, like haunted and like people know it's like known to be haunted. And like, they tell like everybody that nothing happens. Like there's nothing in the house and it's not haunted, but they told my parents that like stuff will move around and there's like kind of like weird stuff that happens. But like the biggest thing that happens in the house is that the clocks will stop at like three fifteen in the morning or something. No, fuck that. no. <laughs> and I was no. like, Are you fucking talking about Amityville? I probably didn't say fucking because she was a child and I didn't want to scare. And um <laughs> Oh my god. And she was like, That's what it's called. Yes, Whoa! that's the house. So at the time, her parents were friends with the people who lived there who were saying, no, nothing's ever happened. Nothing's ever happened. And it turns out, like, it supports a lot of the shit that's said to have happened. Which is why I believe something actually happened in there. And she was too young. She didn't know anything of the story. She didn't know, like, any of that stuff. And Yeah. So that's so crazy. <laughs> that's my little additional story to this. And, which and is... the fact that, and the fact that, like the people that live there that tell that are like, "Well, stuff happens, and we want to make a big deal of it because mm-hmm. uh, we don't want that publicity." Because we've but they we've would tell their lesson. friends. They would tell their friends, but they wouldn't yeah. go public about it. Right, right. Wow. And she had described too, like the house is different though. Like it's not looking this one way, but it looks a totally different way now. Something like with the windows, and <laughs> it was she just Damn. kind of half told the story that I knew. Yeah. It's like what? Yeah. I know. So that is the story of Amityville, the horror house. I, w- I want to point out a little interesting thing, coincidence. Mm-hmm. Is it that we are running at almost two hours? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> I didn't know that till now, yeah. but it has to do with time. So the, <laughs> the 3.15 thing is when they're supposed to have been shot, right? Mm-hmm. Last night, when uh, when we flew in, mm-hmm. no, that wasn't last was two night. Two nights ago. Never mind. Then it's not an interesting coincidence. My uh, mind is all over the fucking. Well, I'll tell map. you that. I was gonna think when that isn't that interesting that last night, which was November thirteenth, that like we were cut in, it was like and it was about one fifteen, uh, or almost two in the morning before we got our fucking bags. Yeah. And just then, Jack had called you to be like, there were gunshots outside, and uh, are you okay? There were six gunshots. There were six gunshots, but that was two days ago, not yeah, last night. Yeah, it was two night. days ago. But it would have been around 3.15 New York time. Oh, it would have. This is stretch, stretching, but I like it. I really like it. You know, it's funny <laughs> that... There's uh, almost a story there, but there's not. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds says that when he was working on the film that was out in 2005, yeah, I think it's what came out. The re-re-remake, right? um, the... He would wake up at three fifteen every morning. Mm. Now they weren't by they weren't in the house or whatever. I will t- say this: there are a lot of stories where people wake up at three fifteen. Um, this one with the house because the clocks would stop at three fifteen uh-huh. is different. The cortisol um, is the kind of stress hormone in your body, and naturally, when you go to sleep um, around three between three and five in the morning is when those cortisol levels shoot up and get really really mm-hmm. high mm-hmm. so that's why between three and five is when you wake up thinking why did i say that to th- this person or i have to do this tomorrow and this tomorrow and this tomorrow and how am i going to get it done and am i going to oversleep like that's why those thoughts happen between three and five in the morning yeah. it's it's the stress hormone wakes you up so 
I think Ryan Reynolds is probably just as stressed that, Well, that's that. interesting because there's an ancient, the ancients uh, had a thing they called second sleep. It was very common, especially for among uh, mm-hmm. people of learning, uh, scholars and whatnot, to wake up uh, in the wee hours of the morning and just get up for a little while. And they would read or do some of their work then because they found themselves to be highly motivated to do so. And then they would go back to bed and, and, you know, a couple hours later, and that was called second sleep. That was fairly mm-hmm. common among men of learning in medieval Europe and, yeah. and into, the, you know, into even the, the Renaissance age. So that would make sense. That yeah. cortisol kicks in, you wake up, shit, I'm nervous. Well, I might as well get some work done. Cause yeah, I'm I take like a cortisol balance uh, <laughs> supplement that helps me sleep through the night. And I love it. It's like an herbal thing. 315 is just when I need to pee. Right. It's just, it just, you know, I think that there's things that can be true and then there's things that can be explained and it can be around the same time frame. That's true. Interesting, right? True. Um, so, yeah. fascinating story. Like, yeah. Annabelle is so complicated. I agree. Like, that story is just impossible to get to the bottom yeah, of. Yeah, I kept finding out more and so more stuff. It was like, oh my there. gosh, this is going to take forever. But I'm glad that I did because yeah. I really like knowing all of this stuff now and I hope everybody enjoyed hearing both of our stories. Yeah. Thank you. Um, that is all for today's episode Thank God, of Ghoul Intentions. <laughs> it's more like Ghoul Intentions. <laughs> it's super long. We just added another um, but I hope that I hope that everybody enjoyed it. Uh, we I did. will. Oh, good. Thank you. I'm glad that you did. <laughs> We're gonna have a live stream on Twitch mm-hmm. as we usually mm-hmm. do. Yeah. You can find us at Ghoul Intent, and it will be at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. You will find Michael and myself sitting in my living room and discussing this episode yes yes uh yeah so go um, go to ghoulintentions.com uh, for links to our social media sites and uh previous episodes and of course where you can submit your own stories for consideration mm-hmm. to be read on future episodes and now we come to the part where you Yay! try to baffle me and usually succeed by baffling me with a quote from All a right. movie or something. Yes, this is a good what, one. What do you got today? This is another uh, Susan-inspired quote. My mom found this one for you. <laughs> okay, okay. are you ready? The best. Okay. See me. See me now. Oh, fuck. <sighs> do you want me to tell you the actor? Yeah. It's Gary Oldman. <gasps> oh, it, 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 Dracula. Yes. Friends for a couple of Dracula. <laughs> Yes, I was thinking it was like it has some movie. It's, it's supernatural. I knew that. Right I, was thinking, I knew you would get it as soon as I said Gary Oldman. Yeah, yeah. So you're welcome oh, for my that. God, Gary Oldman. <laughs> yeah. Oh God, so good. If you guys haven't watched that movie, you should. It's so fun. Um, so yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. And remember, it's okay to sleep with the lights off. That's right.